This episode, Justice League America number 41 and Justice League Europe number 17, cover dated August 1990. Hello, and welcome to the 41st episode of Justice League International Bwahaha Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. My name's the Irredeemable Shag, and I'm your host, but I'm not flying solo. Every single episode, we feature two different guest hosts, and we'll chat with my second co-host in just a little bit, but for now, my first co-host today is another international guest hailing from England. Get it, folks? Justice League International? It's right there in the name, people. Come on. Do try and keep up, please. So my guest is a fellow podcaster, and even better, in addition to being a JLI fan, he's also a fan of the Doctor Who Expanded Universe prose novels, which is like one of my favorite fandoms in the entire world. Yeah, I know. Only like two of you people care about it. But I'm excited, damn it, and that's all that matters. Folks, please help me welcome Mr. Chris Horton. Welcome to the New York Embassy, Chris. Thanks for being here, man. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm very excited to be here. It's been a lovely trip over, um, and uh, <laughs> I'm glad that my COVID passport has worked. Excellent. We could have just met in the London Embassy. Probably would have been easier, I suppose. Uh, yeah, though you'd have had to go into quarantine. So. That is absolutely true. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, folks, behind the scenes here, I am super excited to talk to Chris. Their Doctor Who book podcast, Chris. Chris and Matt do is one of my absolute favorites. I got a chance to meet Matt out in Gallifrey. This is my chance to talk with Chris. Again, I know you people at home do not even care one jot about Doctor Who books, but I am super excited about this, people. So you're just going to have to deal with it. Well, and Dan Slott, who I know Dan Slott's never worked on a JLI, but I've always thought of him as kind of like like spiritually JLI. Um, yeah. Uh, he's a huge Doctor Who fan. That's right. His Silver Surfer run apparently is all just a nod to Doctor Who from what I understand. Hmm. Yeah. And also Starman from the JLI era. Mm -hmm. I was also a Doctor Who fan. There's a few Doctor Who references, so, so that character enjoyed watching Doctor Who. Oh, okay. So are we talking about Will Payton? Or are we talking yeah, about... Yeah, we're talking about the Will Oh, Payton. so Roger Stern stuff. That is very... Yeah. I, didn't, I never picked up on that. I'm a huge Will Payton fan. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I missed that. I mean, it's not tons of references, but, gotcha. and, and, and it's not like... <laughs> it's not deep-dyed. It's not talking <laughs> about Sisters of Khan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's a deep dig like three people got. Okay. <laughs> well, I know Chris Claremont used to put a lot in Excalibur as well. That was always fun. Mm, yeah. So, all right, before I turn this into a Doctor Who podcast, which actually I'd very much like to do, people, and that's <laughs> going to happen someday on our network, we probably should get into uh, get the business part of the show out of the way. So we need to take a second to thank our sponsors. Folks, this episode of the JLI podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, each episode, we pick some collected edition to briefly discuss. It's related to the show in some way or just something we enjoy. This month, I have picked a book uh, because of the connection with the artist Mike McComb, since he's the artist on our JLA issue, and the whole parallel world hopping that we're going to cover in Just League Europe. So it seemed like the perfect one to cover for me was Exile's Complete Collection Trade Paperback Volume 1, which is a new printing. If you're not familiar with the Marvel team of Exiles, they were the superpowered characters that were plucked from different timelines and different dimensions, and they are brought together basically to fix the what they call the kinks in the chains of the multiverse. It's basically a, a Marvel superhero version of either Sliders or Quantum Leap, however you want to look at it. 
It was a lot of fun. It went for a very long time. Saw every one of the multiverse characters you ever wanted. They go up to the 2099-verse. They go all over the place. This particular collection collects issues 1 through 19. So the writer's Judd Winnick. The artist is Mike McCone, the gentleman who draws the JLA issue this time. And uh, it's a soft cover. Normal retails for $34.99, but you can get it 42% off, so it's only $20.29. And check this out. The covers of issue number 1 and number 12, both in this collection, have like a JLI-style group shot with the team all standing there looking up at the camera, kind of the classic Kevin McGuire style. So it's a lot of fun. Now, Chris, did you happen to pick a selection for uh, In Stock Trades this time? Yes, I did. I did make a note of the pricing of it, but uh, I, did, I did I did recommend the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl Volume 1 uh, Squirrel Power um, <laughs> by uh, Ryan North and Erica Henderson, because uh, it was a close-run thing between that and Injustice, which I've been loving. Oh, um, right. But, but, I, but I kind of think the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, that's got more of a JLI vibe, I think. And it's just lovely, and people need to have more fun and joy in their lives, I think, at times, and it's just adorable. It's a great pick, and it's definitely in the vein of JLI. It's all about finding fun and joy in your comic book reading. Now, it's 128 pages, and you can get on in-stock trades right now for $9.27. What a oh, wow. That's super cheap. It's 42% yes. off. It normally goes for $15.99. So, yeah, folks, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl is super fun. And it definitely sort of, um, I, I don't know if I want to call it the successor of JLI, but there's definitely a, a legacy sense to that, of fun, mm. and fun in your comics. So, for these and your other trade paperback needs, please visit InStockTrades.com. Now, this episode is also sponsored in part with your Patreon support, because running the Fire and Water Podcast now with so many shows requires a lot of online hosting and services. A while back, well, we asked for some help from you folks at home to help pay the bills, and you guys really stepped up, and we sincerely appreciate it. And I can say, without your help, the network would not still be on the air. So if you're interested in helping support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, and if you like shows like the JLI Podcast, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And while you're there, if you support the network at certain tiers, you get thanked on your show of choice, just like these folks, which asked to be thanked on the JLI Podcast. Our thanks to Bill Beer, Chris Lewis, David Ace Gutierrez, DC Dave, Devin Clancy, George Van Note, Gord Tolton, John Ross Haynes, Mark Baker Wright, Martin Gray, Matt Ev, Maxwell Traver, Mike Zemkowski, Patrick McMullen, Rudy Gostillo, Sean Ross, and Tim Price. Again, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. All right, folks, now get out on the social media. Use our hashtag poundfwpodcast. You can tag us at JLI Podcast. It's all about building a community of online JLI fans around this show. And if you just want to happen to throw some Doctor Who comments in there, I don't think Chris or I will mind. That'd be fine. <laughs> so, Chris, I got to ask you, what is your personal origin story with the JLI? How'd you find the book? What made you fall in love with the characters? Yeah, so the JLI, I discovered um, JLI in a slightly strange way. It was 1989. Uh, I was uh, reading Superman Monthly, which is a UK reprint magazine that for a while would contain one Superman story and half a Green Lantern story and half a Justice League story. <laughs> and uh, and so my first issue uh, contained the first part of, of Justice League 3, so the one where, where Rocket Red and all that nice. show up. And like, it was just this wonderful array of characters, and like some of whom were familiar to me, and most of them were not. And there was just, like the humour and everything. I was like, oh, this is brilliant. And so I carried on reading Superman Monthly because of the Justice League content. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> poor and, Superman. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, poor Superman. Um, <laughs> but also I think the people that were making the magazine realised, because like Green Lantern got faded out. <laughs> 
Okay. At the time. Um, so it was like, yeah, no, nobody cares. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was just fantastic. Yeah. So I did find a way of kind of getting some imports, and then that was through a kind of like a, a mail order establishment based out of Belfast. Oh wow. Okay. As as you do, um, and so then that stopped, and and so therefore I would only get the occasional sort of like import that rocks up in my local newsagent, and mm-hmm. because they had. 20 editions of the penultimate episode of Blue Devil, or sort of penultimate issue of Blue Devil. <laughs> they were sporadic in kind of like importing things in and had no taste. Um, or, or there was no coherence in their plans. Yeah, Blue Devil number 30 might not be the one to really stock your shelves with. <laughs> no, no, no. So I think it's a penultimate one. Yeah, 31 was the last issue, so 30 would yeah, have been the one. Yeah, yeah, so I think it was a penultimate one. But uh, but yeah, certainly it was full of one of them. And I was just like, really? <laughs> and, like, and they were aging in the English sun, which makes you think they've been there quite some time right. um, <laughs> so, so uh, yeah but uh, then like, at secondary school a teacher of mine was not just a, yeah, he was a Doctor Who fan he was also a DC Comics fan and so uh, through him I kind of like read Breakdowns and and also um, Armageddon 2001 and uh, learned how to pronounce Armageddon um, right uh, so, <laughs> yeah uh, and and then a comic shop opened up in my in my town but I also discovered that the Justice League was not as much to my taste as it was back in the day. Mm. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah. Po- Post breakdowns is definitely a different book. No, no uh, doubt yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm so glad you mentioned Superman Monthly. That mm. is a gorgeous, gorgeous reprint magazine. I, I have three copies uh, of Superman magazine, and they were mm. sent to me actually by one of our listeners, Martin Gray, who was a former editor on Superman magazine. So one of the people who helped bring you that magazine that you were enjoying, Chris, is, listens to the show, and he's actually been a guest on this show in the past, and it will be again, and he's one of our Patreon supporters. Uh, what a beautiful reprint. I mean, you, folks, if you've never seen these, they're larger than a traditional comic. The paper quality is significantly better than what we were getting here in the States. So it's just absolutely gorgeous. I'm, I'm incredibly jealous that you had these Superman monthlies. They're beautiful. Yeah, but also they would sometimes they would have to explain, like, the crossovers. It was always funny just reading the text they they're saying, like, particularly like for Millennium. Uh-huh. It was like, okay, all of this has happened, just so that you can understand. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, our thank you to you, Martin Gray, for helping yes. uh, little little Chris navigate the confusion of Millennium. Yes. <laughs> I, I could use some help nowadays, too, by the way. So feel free to drop me a note explaining <laughs> Millennium to me, because I'm still a little confused. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get into this issue, folks. Uh, so if you go out to our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com, we will have some of the images from this issue that we're going to talk about, just so you, if you don't have the comic handy. Uh, and if you don't have the comic handy, uh, what's wrong with you? It should be in your long boxes. I'm not sure what your problem is, people. I will say, though, this one's a little harder to get your hands on than most. It is not available digitally on Comixology. It is not available digitally on DC Universe Infinity. Uh, from what I understand, and it is in the omnibus, but that's about the only place you can find it right now. So mm. uh, I guess I'll forgive you folks at home. So this is Justice League America number 41, published by DC Comics, cover dated August 1990, on the shelves June 12th, 1990, cover price $1, four shiny quarters, cover is by Adam Hughes. It's the only Adam Hughes we're going to get in the issue, folks, so enjoy it. Chris, would you please describe the cover for us? Yeah, so so the cover shows a very dapper-looking Maxwell Lord uh, sitting in a plush chair with his head turned more or less um, to the reader. And along the frame of the image are an array of kind of like futuristic guns pointing at Max. And there's also fragments of something on the floor, which possibly like a bit of a door that might have been kicked out. Yeah. And uh, Max is looking unflustered by this intrusion and asks, don't you people believe in knocking? 
and it's a great scene. It doesn't actually happen in the book. <laughs> no, not really. There's sort of the spirit of it at one point, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is uh, this is definitely capturing the essence of the issue, and it's hilarious. I absolutely adore this cover. I like word balloons yeah. on covers anyway. I'm a sucker for those, so I love this thing. Yeah, and also there's a wasn't there a Maxwell Lord kind of James Bond parody? Of about fifteen issues back, or am I yes. confused? Yeah, yes. well, it was a, a Bruce Wayne ma- and uh, ah, Ma- Bruce Wayne. Well, yes. but Maxwell yes. Lord was tied into it as well because it okay. was a, yeah, yeah. it was Bruce yeah. Wayne in disguise as Maxwell Lord. I want to say at one point. Yes, and we also get the corner box by the way with fire and ice. We've seen the corner boxes kind of crop up here and there with different characters. So I, this, may, I, if I remember right, this is the first time we've gotten fire and ice, and it says Maxwell Lord under fire. So mm. I also like that they took the time uh, the, on the gun on the bottom right hand corner. There's like a little scanner, and in serpent in a in a pink serpent, you can see Max's face. So they've actually reproduced that, which I thought was, you know, the extra effort they would do for that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get inside because it's a uh, it's a very different story inside, folks. Uh, plot <laughs> and likely breakdowns by Keith Giffen. Script by J.M.D. Mateus. Our guest penciler this month is Mike McCone. Our guest inker is Bruce Patterson. Letter is Bob LePan. Colorist is Gene D'Angelo. Assistant editor Kevin Dooley. And editor Andy Helfer. The issue itself is called Maximum Force. Chris, you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. So Maximum Force begins with Maxwell Lord explaining to... Uh, um, the Martian Manhunter, how he's achieved mind control, kind of, or coercion powers. Right. Uh, and uh, that was um, that was during the events of Invasion. It's nearly two years ago at this point. And uh, he also tells John his powers aren't mind control as much as they are nudging people. And you may want to just bear that interpretation in mind as we go on. <laughs> uh, and so, um, so John, he offers him some superhero mentoring, but Max turns him down as he feels he doesn't have to write to the tempo of someone else's mind so he hurries off to kind of like a business function um en route hypnotizing a taxi driver so he's not wanting to interfere with someone's mind but he's but he is just Mm -hmm. just giggles um and at the function he starts talking to an attractive woman called wanda and uses his power to at least get the conversation rolling and so he takes Wanda back to his place. And as he's opening the door, he decides not to use his powers any further on her. Um. <laughs> what a gentleman. What a gentleman. Yes, yes, yes. A model of restraint. Um, and, but his plans go awry when they realize that in the flat is Lord Evil, who is a supervillain after the League Secrets. Uh, Max and Lord Evil have an argument and uh, Max orders Lord Evil to leave. So the villain immediately steps out of the window and falls seemingly to his death. Uh, so that's lovely. Um, Wonder <laughs> is uh, Wonder is somewhat surprised by all of this, and who can blame her? Uh, so Max reveals to her that he's a secret and that he is a superhero, maximum force, and he throws off his clothes to reveal a predominantly pink outfit with white shoulders, as well as the letters M and F, and um, the latter is stretching down to his knee. It's it's quite a vision. And the outfit also has a tube to deal with the nosebleeds that Max gets when he uses his psychic abilities. Um, and it's also got like a built-in jetpack so he can fly. Uh, and, uh, and very much like Superman in Wonder Christopher Reeve movies, he bids Wonder goodbye as he has to go fight crime. Uh, though he also asks her to stick around. So it only take 45 minutes. Right. <laughs> um, now, I, I, I never went to New York in the 80s, but I always get the impression that there were, I think there was more crime than you could deal with in 45 minutes um (laughs) probably still is yes so he flies out into the manhattan night and here's a mugging in process 
Well, I'll take it from there. So Maximum Force stops the mugging by convincing the thief to shoot himself in the head. Yes, he kills himself at Max's command. Maximum Force continues his patrol and next convinces two men in a drug deal to kill one another. Later, he discovers a thief named Masked Robber and commands him to beat himself up. Finally, a giant ape is attempting to climb the Empire State Building and Max commands it to fall off, not thinking about the people below until it's too late. After returning to the Justice League Embassy, Max finds the League defeated by their arch-foe Massivetron. There's some banter about Max being late to the Justice League meeting, and then Max inadvertently orders Massivetron to drop dead, causing the villain to do so. The other members of the League chastise Max about his lack of ethics, and then the army arrives to arrest him. Max suddenly awakens in bed, and turns out the previous night's misadventures had only been an alcohol-fueled nightmare. Max discovers that the cocktail party was not part of the dream, that that actually happened, and Wanda is fast asleep in his guest room. Max feels regret for using his mental powers on Wanda, recognizing that it was immoral and disgusting, so maybe he's learned somewhat of a lesson. Around this time, Martian Manhunter phones Max, and Max asks if there's any reports of a giant ape lately. Batman finds the entire discussion incredulous and leaves perplexed. Next issue, the Justice League's latest membership drive begins. Don't miss Opportunity Knox, complete with guest stars aplenty. Ooh, all right. So, Chris, there is a lot to unpack on this, <laughs> uh, artistically and morally and ethically. So, why don't you start us off? Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. So, I remember reading this at the time. Um, and uh, I remember I found this sort of like, that is a bit gross. Yeah? Yeah. And I was an 11-year-old. <laughs> So, yeah. so let's get a little more dig a little here. So, what parts did you find gross? Because there's a few. Yeah, yeah. So, I think my initial reaction as a kid was him using his mind powers on Wanda. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just there's quite a bit of death in this, and it doesn't. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a very odd story, isn't it? It really is. Let's talk about the Wanda thing for a minute here, because I yes. agree. I find Max's use of his powers extremely disturbing here. Now, I realize yeah. that's the intention. We're supposed to feel unsettled by this. But right yeah. after he tells Martian Manhunter that he's a changed man, he uses his mental powers on the chauffeur, making the yeah. chauffeur accept a name that's not even his own. Being like, oh yeah. yeah, my name is this. Like, oh my gosh. Then at the party, he uses the powers, you know, to break the ice with Wanda to talk to him. And that leads to her going back to his apartment. You know, Thank goodness yeah. he passed out drunk. Because if he hadn't, well, what else would he have made her do? You know, whether if what if she didn't want to, you know, pursue the, yeah. the relations he was interested in? Oh my god. I mean, as a character that I've rooted for here for 40 issues, suddenly I'm pretty disgusted by him. And what happened in Identity Crisis isn't looking so unrealistic at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're seeing the seeds. I mean, though, I mean to be fair, he was shown as being a bit of a manipulator early on, mm -hmm. and and also he he was he was acting under some form of duress and that kind of thing. But yes, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I I was used to him being possibly yeah maybe a yeah, maybe a bit of a shade of gray. Um, but there's there's a lot of gray here. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he... uh, and and also how obvious is it that this is a dream story? Because <laughs> like I mean, I'm, like when he becomes maximum force so i just remember like well this is taking a turn but, <laughs> but it, it didn't immediately occur to me this is a dream story but i was also just like 
Yeah, I, was just, I mean, one of the things I enjoy about Justice League International is that you do sometimes have these interesting tonal shifts. Mm-hmm. Like the um, the first part of the uh, of the Despero storyline mm. is one of my favorite pieces of fiction of all time because you start off sort of like absolutely in hysterics at the expose by mm-hmm. the satire magazine, and then you just by the end you're like, what on earth is going to happen right. next? Yes, um, uh, and so that's something that I've brought into my own writing and things like that. I'm just trying to capture that. Where is this? Yeah. <laughs> but but like also as well, I've always felt, does really Max need to have these psychic powers? I mean, I think he's he's a relatively interesting enough character as it is without kind of like being a knockoff, you know, Professor Xavier. Well, I think their idea, and this is all speculation, at the time yeah. was, you know, the nineteen eighties greed is good philosophy, the era of the corporate bad guy, you know, give the corporate bad guy mental control and it, it's it it fits perfectly. Perfectly for you know that sort of agenda. Yeah, that's my only thought. But but the, you know by that point they were trying to redeem Max. By the end of that story you mentioned, issue twelve, where he's a con- you know part of the construct and all that, they start yeah. to redeem Max. The only thing that he's done really that's been irreprehensible is trying to convince or not trying to. He did convince Huntress to join the team by using his power, which he apologized to her and then she tried to kill him. So he erased her memory of that too. So he didn't even come clean here to Martian Manhunter that Huntress is part of the team uh, by his mental control. So. There's a whole lot of ethically questionable things. It's it's an interesting road to go down. That's all I can imagine is the writers were looking for an interesting ethical quandary for Max because otherwise, mm. what is he doing besides writing the checks? Yeah. They also, uh, along the same ethical issues, I do like that they quote here. They say, oh, with great power comes great responsibility. And, <laughs> and they try to attribute the quote to Shakespeare, <laughs> which I thought was fantastic. I'm sure Stan Lee was very happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's an interesting thing right at the start of um, the story. Mm-hmm. So Max and John are looking at this window you right. know, and and it's where you've got maximum force written in sort of like written on the condensation on the window mm-hmm. and but has he written it in mirror writing what's going on it seems a bit it is I, I, that's a good question i wonder that myself it's obviously mike mccone was going for something artistically i yes. maybe it's supposed to be raining and so therefore that because maximum force is dripping and yeah. and if he's running his finger maybe the cold rained outside has created condensation on the window yeah. that's yeah. all i can think but uh, there's nothing else to put it together so i'm not really sure what's going on there yeah 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 and and also like when lord evil falls to his death mm-hmm. and I, I don't know how high up max's apartment is but i mean i get the feeling it's it's you know it's a fair way up yes but like what about anybody on the pavement below Good point. Um, I mean, we, we get that, yeah, because they'd, they'd have been squashed or traumatized. Yeah, and we get that addressed with the kind of like the not King Kong, but like Lord Evil will also have um, taken some people out. That's a fair point. Uh, fair point. And also, did Lord Evil really happen? No, no. I, I think it's uh, actually established it didn't happen. That's true. Well, uh, my thought is if you look on page six, when when Max first opens the door, he's like he's already admitted to being feeling very drunk, very woozy. Uh, yeah. I thought maybe Wanda actually had spiked his drink at this point. I thought maybe she was a bad guy or something. But so Max goes to unlock the door, and then you actually see him fall down. So, yeah, that's true. So I think that is where the dream starts because uh, if he had actually killed this guy, there would have been major repercussions. So I think all of that, and he actually that he, that killing that guy then leads into his big speech about being maximum force. So I got to think that's where the where it happened. Um, okay. So since we're talking about you know Max falling down. And 
and all that. Let, let's let's talk a little bit about the art. So this is Mike McCone as a guest yeah. artist. Coming off of Adam Hughes, some of Adam Hughes's best work he's ever drawn. This was a little mm. tough. Was a little rough. Uh, Mike McCone's a great artist. I love Mike McCone nowadays. His stuff on Teen Titans. The stuff he just drew a Star Girl cover. I mean, he's he's a fantastic artist. At this point, though, he had uh, he had drawn Justice League America 25, 28 in annuals three and four. And in those cases, uh, some were inked by Bob Smith, some by Joe Rubenstein, and some were inked by Bruce Patterson. This is inked by Bruce Patterson. And unfortunately, you can really see that Bob Smith and Joe Rubenstein are better inkers for McCone. Patterson does not do McCone a lot of favors here. It, it, maybe I'm being too harsh. I don't know. What's your thoughts on the art? I wasn't taken with it, I have to say. But uh, yeah. Oh, and, and yeah, you speaking of JLI Annual 4, that, is that the Bud Lines one? Uh, no, January, uh, Annual Number 4 is Justice League Antarctica. Oh! Oh, which is one of my favorites. It's wonderful, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Yes. Oh, Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the artwork for this, unfortunately didn't really do much for me, but I remember just loving. So, so yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think it's the Inca combination, isn't it? But it's muddy. Yeah, the, it is. It just feels quite muddy. Um, that's, that's the thing. Also the, the faces, uh, there, there's some issues where the faces just don't quite look right. They don't quite look human and the angles and things like that. Yeah. And I have a suspicion based on what, what you just said about just like annual number four being great is I think that, this is an issue that was drawn a long time ago. I think this was a, a, like a fill-in issue that's been sitting in a drawer or mm. an inventory issue. I think Mike McCohen drew this even before he drew Justice League Antarctica because his work in Justice League Antarctica is much better than this. So, mm. I, and this issue does not move any of the plots forward. Uh, it's sandwiched between two great issues and doesn't mention any of those plots. There's no mention of the funeral they just did. There's no mention of the recruitment drive coming up. None of it. And here's the real kicker. Is, uh, in the dream sequence. No blue and gold. Uh, well, Right. Well, that right. Well, they actually show up in the dream sequence. And, oh yeah, they do. Yeah. And Booster's there because at this point Booster has quit the team, and Mister mm. Miracle's dead, and both of them are in that scene. Mister Miracle and Booster. Now you could argue it's a dream, sure, but just stick with me here. Booster's on the team here. It's not supposed to be. Mister Miracle's dead. Uh, at least they think he is. Fire is actually wearing her old outfit. So if you look on page nineteen, mm. she's wearing a costume that she hasn't worn in. Probably, I don't remember off the top of my head, folks, so forgive me. Almost 10 issues. She hasn't worn that costume in probably, again, several, several months. And they actually miscolored it. You can see the colors tried to correct it. They tried mm. to color her costume like her modern costume where they, they covered the cleavage. They tried to, to make the belly a different color. They tried to fix the gloves and things like that. Ice is also wearing her wrong costume. The only way you can tell that is on page 16. You can see her boots sticking out, so you can tell she's wearing the wrong boots. So between Fire's old outfit, Ice's old outfit, both of those being months old, Booster and, and Mr. Miracle being on the team, I think this is a, a, something that Mike McCone drew a long time ago and has just been sitting in a drawer somewhere. Yeah. I know. I, I, it's a crazy theory that... Uh, no, I, I, think, <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. It does make you wonder sometimes with inventory issues, you know, how many inventory issues there are that never came to light. Yeah. Um, DC Universe Infinity is actually doing something with that right now, which is their, oh, online, okay. their online digital service. They did something like called Tales from the Vault or something, where they, yeah. took, where they took a handful of inventory stories that never got published, and they're publishing them just for fun on the digital service, which is a great way to use them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Often I, I have found that inventory issues, or filler issues, um, are often ones that haven't brought me a lot of joy in the past. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> There's a reason yeah. they sat in a drawer. Yeah. 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 There, there is often a bit of a reason for that. 
but uh, yeah yeah so like maybe this would have made more sense coming not long after invasion yeah i would agree when he was still using his, yeah, his new powers and stuff like that yep i think yeah. if this had been somewhere in the the late 20s you know uh right after maybe the establishment of just league europe or and right before they switched costumes whenever the teasdale imperative started i think it would have made a lot more sense mm. so let me ask you a question here so max yes. killing the criminals you know we both said that was un- uncomfortable it's a dream sequence but still do you yeah. do you think that was a commentary on the darker tone of like 1990s anti-heroes um yeah possibly um though also maybe it might be a kind of like a commentary on what you know a gordon gecko type figure could do with mm. this kind of thing uh yeah. i think possibly more yeah it's 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 an yeah it yeah <laughs> <laughs> I put you on the spot this there. Book, this book. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Oh, I wish that we'd had more booster. <laughs> I know. I know. Moving away from the issue briefly, mm-hmm. um, have you heard of a um, a singer called Eddie Argos? I have not. Um, a band called Art Brute. Uh, so Eddie Argos, um, he's a he's a British, uh, well, I think pop star would be overstating it somewhat, but uh, he's a huge booster gold fan. <laughs> and he did an EP about the Justice League. Including a song about Booster Gold. Oh, well, you know, I think I have heard about this actually. Now that you okay. mention that, but I, I've never yeah. heard it. I don't know much about it. I think someone mentioned it to me offhandedly. Yeah, yeah. Is it's, it fun? It's, it's, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while since I've listened to it, but uh, but yeah, it's, it's 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 good fun. I mean, it, unfortunately, he didn't do too many songs, so um, so you're not going to have the Ballad of Oberon. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think as well that people that like kind of. Um, <laughs> Naughties, um, sort of slightly shoegazy indie music. Um, there's, the Venn diagram between them and JLI fans is a bit limited. It could I be. I loved it. It could be. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was like, Eddie Argos, you are speaking to me and possibly me alone, but I appreciate it. Well, if it's anything like Ookla the Mock's uh, Aquaman songs or Star Trek songs, then uh, I'm on board without a doubt. Mm. Yeah, sorry. That, that was, uh, talking about something more pleasant than <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> So I, I'm going to touch on a couple more items, yes, and then sure. then let's wrap up the issue because I think we're this network is all about finding our joy. Yes, and yes, yeah, the, yeah, we're yeah. struggling a bit here, folks. So a uh, couple just random commentary. Wanda, uh, who her dress is stunning. I don't know if it's appropriate for that cocktail party, but wow, okay. <laughs> Um, she's a fiction editor over at Partisan House, which I did a lot of Googling. I got other than just finding Random House, I got to assume that's some sort of commentary on uh, the, the world of fiction editing. I, I got to assume. And then uh, Maximum Force's speech patterns, uh, they were funny. He, he was very true blue, over-the-top sort of heroic. The first time I read him, I, I wasn't thrilled. But the second time, I kind of got into the pattern of it. And now I'm interested to see if this is sort of a proto-General Glory kind of speech mm. pattern. Because I know General Glory was very true blue kind of that uh, speech patterns. Yeah, yeah. And General Glory, I think, was where I really checked out. <laughs> It's it's an extremely divisive character. In fact, folks, if you would, in the comments, I'm looking for some feedback on General Glory that's positive. I want to hear from some people that actually love General Glory. So, because yeah. there's a lot of us that don't. So, I want to hear some people that love it. I want to understand where you're coming from to get that. So, leave that in the comments. Yeah. So I think I would have preferred five issues on the Scarlet Skier than General Glory. <laughs> they're, they're not that far apart, though, of that sense of humor. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, you talked about Max's costume. Uh, I actually do want 
want to give credit to Mike McCone that I do kind of like the Maximum Force costume design. I mean, I know it's pink and whatnot, but the the giant MF is kind of cool. It's an interesting stylistic. It looks very pro late late eighties, early nineties. I like the logo Maximum Force because the the word Max actually has like white lettering inside of it, so that's kind of clever. The nose tube is hilarious. I thought his design of uh, the masked robber was pretty cool. He actually has the word swag written on him, which I thought was hysterical. We're not coming down terribly positive, folks, but it's not all bad. There are things to love in this issue, so I want you guys yeah. to make that decision yourself. And it, it is interesting that it's, it is a little bit harder to find. Again, it's not available digitally. So there's only a handful of issues of JLA that's not available digitally. This one and the next one, both and annual number four, all three of those drawn by Mike McCone, not available digitally, which is strange because other Mike McCone issues are available digitally. I don't know what DC's thought process is on that. So very, very weird. So, all right, wrapping up here. Sadly, uh, this is not one of my favorite issues. Uh, I've done over 50 episodes of this show now, covering over 100 different comic books, you know, with all the Meanwhile episodes and everything. And we've celebrated a whole bunch of fantastic comics. We really have. But in order to have those amazing issues, it also means sometimes we have to have issues that aren't as great. So rather than fake the enthusiasm, and you know, we, we're being honest, people, that would say we didn't care for this issue very much. I didn't hate it, and I'd still pick it over a lot of other mediocre comics on the market, but it's just not one that I'm probably going to revisit. Now, before you folks start start screaming, this is the beginning and the end for the quality of JLI. This is where it all falls apart. That is not the case, people. Next issue is the recruitment issue, which is a lot of fun. So we've still got lots and lots of great issues to look forward to, and I am uh, looking forward to those. So, uh, Chris, uh, any closing thoughts on the issue before we move on to the next segment? It's, it's always just nice to kind of go back to JLI and things like that. So, yeah, I, I do wonder whether, like, the DC's choice on what's available digitally or not. I mean, I wonder to what extent any of the creators have any input into it. It's a good question because I, I couldn't figure it out because, again, McCone – at first I thought that was the connection uh, because, mm. like, oh, here's three Mike McCone issues not available. And yet there are other Mike McCone issues available. So mm. I cannot even begin to imagine what it is. It's very strange. Yeah. And because JLI Annual 4 is the um, – it, it, that's it's Justice League Antarctica one, which mm-hmm. is, for me, one of the best Justice League issues right. ever. Right, right. Uh, it's like, like, how is that not available to people? Because that's just fantastic. I mean, you can enjoy that ever having read Justice League. Exactly. And it introduced me to Nort. Ah, Nort is wonderful. He is yes. great. I, I had a – a stale memory of Nort going into this reread thinking, oh, I'm not looking forward to Nort. And I have found him to be an absolute joy. He's so much fun. Done in the right quantity, he's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. If ever I'm kind of like reading anything Green Lantern-y and you know, my other half is looking over my shoulder, uh, I always get this question of, is this the one with the puppy in? <laughs> No, no. Chipmunk? No, no. Oh, okay. I'll wander off then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> My daughter loves Nort. She absolutely – she thinks she's yeah. she thinks he's fantastic. I bought comic books specifically, like Scooby-Doo Team-Up, that had Nort in it specifically because she wanted to read Nort. Mm. So. Yeah, yeah. I hope the HBO Green Lantern series has naught in it. That, I think, being its live action, that would be a huge ask. So we'll see. I, well, yeah, but... Yeah. I, I, would very be, I would be very happy if they do. So we'll have to see. Well, they have Kilowog, I think. True, true. They put him so, in the so they put him in the live action Norton. movie too. Yeah, but Norton Chip in. Oh, Chip would be glorious. Chip would be absolutely yeah. glorious. You talk about some favorite issues. So issue forty two, which is the next one, is the recruitment mm. issue, and it's a lot of fun. And as mm. far as stuff not being available digitally, issue. 
issue 42 is actually my very first Justice League America issue that I bought as a regular buyer. Uh, I'll, wow. tell, I'll tell the story next month, uh, mm. but I bought that one, and that was when I finally decided I was buying Justice League America regularly. And so yeah. it, it hurts me that that's not available for people to go out there and purchase digitally. Yeah, and, and that features um, um, Doctor Who fan Starman. That's it? that's part of my story. Not the Doctor Who part, but that's what led me to picking yeah. up Justice League America ah, with Starman. Well, yes. So thank you, Roger well. Stern. Yes. Now we're going to transition from sort of beating on this issue to finding some joy in it. Uh, we are going to discuss the... Wahaha Award. This is where we nominate the funniest moment in the issue. Both myself and Chris will pick one moment, and only one will be awarded the coveted Wahaha Award. Now, Chris, you're the guest. Why don't you tell us your suggestion? Yes. Um, so I had to do a little bit of digging. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so my my suggestion was uh, when Maximum Force is flying into the embassy, um, into Justice League embassy, uh, saying he must never be late as he mustn't set a bad example for America's youth. And thought this is despite the fact that he's killed probably well, well, at least four people right. already. <laughs> Tell you what, we are in complete synchronicity here, sir. The whole bit <laughs> where he's fighting with Massive Tron and bickering back and forth about whether he was late or not. Uh, so I guess technically mine's a, a, a panel or two after yours, but it's still, it's yeah. the same thing. It's all about yeah. that lateness joke where him and Massive Tron are arguing about whether he was late to the meeting or not. That cracked me up, like legitimately out loud. So uh, yeah. I think that's it. Uh, we don't even have to argue the issue. So congratulations <laughs> to Max and Massive Tron uh, for your humorous moments on uh, Max being late. You have won the coveted Bwahaha Award. Please wear it with pride. It is as tangible as the laughter we give you. Now, Chris, I need to ask a favor, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. Um, Would you mind hanging around here and keeping an eye on Wanda and protecting her from any inappropriate advances from Max uh, while I go take care of something? Yeah, I think think that's probably best needed. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Chaperone. Yes, yes, because I've heard about the problem that New York billionaires can cause. Oh, Um, (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) We'll just leave that as it is, folks. (laughs) Don't worry, Chris. We will bring you back at the end of the show. And after this podcast promo break, I'm going to head over to the Paris Embassy for the 17th issue of Justice League Europe. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast in iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Dr. Fate. Dr. Midnight. Starman. Johnny Quick. Wildcat. Power Girl. The All-Star Squadron. Firebrand. Amazing Man. Huntress. Cyclone. Sandman. Mr. Terrific. Commander Steel. Seven Soldiers of Liberty. Infinity Incorporated. Those are just some of the celebrated and beloved heroes associated with Earth 2 and the Justice Society of America. These daring mystery men and women banded together in 1940 to form the first super team in comics. They inspired a decades-long legacy of heroes who would follow in their footsteps. And now they've inspired us to launch a new podcast. 
Justice Society presents a new anthology on the Fire and Water Podcast Network featuring a variety of themed shows with different hosts celebrating some of their favorite comics and characters associated with the Golden Age of Comics, Earth 2, the JSA, and beyond. We'll launch this new series with an ongoing show called Justice Society Presents Crisis, in which Rob and Shag go through each of the classic team-ups between the Justice League and the Justice Society. Then joining the podcast feed will be the Starman Chronicles. Chris and Cindy continue their coverage of James Robinson's epic series from beginning to end. Later in the year, Ryan Daly and Max Romero will tackle the Vertigo title, Sandman Mystery Theater. And two years later, Ryan will cancel it. That's probably... Then in the coming months and years, we'll be adding further ongoing shows and one-off specials celebrating other beloved characters and comics related to the JSA of any era, from the 1940s to today. Join the fight for justice and subscribe to Justice Society Presents on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And now, our coverage of Justice League Europe, number 17. from break and I'm here with our second co-host for this episode. Now, I often talk about this being a international podcast. I love bringing in guests from countries outside the United States to match the whole international flavor, you know, like the team concept. You know, for example, the first half of the show had a guest from England. Well, one of the goals I've kind of set for myself over the life of this podcast series is to book at least one guest from every continent. So far, we've had guests from North America, South America, Europe, and Australia. For future episodes, I've got a couple guests scheduled from Africa. That just leaves Asia and Antarctica. Now, let's just say finding a guest from Antarctica is going to be pretty darn tough. But if, if you're listening and you've ever even set foot on Antarctica, let me know. Your chances on getting booked on this show just went up dramatically. And no, I'm not counting Atlantis as a lost continent. So with the goal of booking international guests, I am so excited about today's co-host. He is our first guest from Asia. He is talking to us today all the way from Tokyo, Japan. Now, he and I have been corresponding for a few months now. Just the other night, we were chatting over Twitter about Japan and how he's lived there for nearly 20 years. And then the unbelievable happened. I seriously thought I was getting punked. This guy started asking questions about the area of Florida where I live. We went back and forth and discovered that we both grew up living only about 30 miles apart. And he and I shopped at the same comic book shop growing up, which is the one I eventually worked at during college. This is insane. So I finally book a guest for the JLI podcast from Japan, and we used to live around the corner from one another. What are the chances of that? This is in crazy. Talk about a small world. But folks, let's just get to it. Please help me welcome to the show, I, I guess my former neighbor, Mr. Brent Thomas. Welcome to the Paris Embassy, Brent. Thanks for being here, man. How you doing? I am doing great. I am so excited to be here uh, as, as the first representative, not only of uh, the Japanese embassy, but of Asia in general. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. 
You don't sound nearly Japanese enough, by the way. They're not going to believe me. They're going to think you're just sitting here, you know, recording next to me. What? They can't see the Fuji Mountain in the background? <laughs> so that was basically me saying, yeah, I've, I've lived in Japan for a while. And then I kind of screwed up my Japanese and forgot where I lived for a little bit. But <laughs> I was hoping it was just a string of profanity, but okay. <laughs> Sad. Sadly enough, um, because I am a school teacher here in Japan, whenever I do try and swear, it does sound like a very angry seven-year-old, which just doesn't sound as tough as you might think. Well, you put the little Yakuza growl in it, and people can you know, kind of believe it. Oh, that is hysterical. So, man, this is crazy. So, yeah, you reached out to me about being yes. on the show, and we had no idea that we grew up around the corner from each other and shopped at the same comic shop. That's true. When I first approached you, it was because, you know, like I I've mentioned living in, in Tokyo, you don't find so many old school American comic book fans. And I listened to the show and I was a fan of it. And I was like, man, this is something that I'm just going to blind to ask and see how it goes. And then after you're like, eh, maybe. Uh, it came, it, it, <laughs> that's, how, that's how I respond to most people, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> how you spelled perfectly skills, man, skills. Thank you. But, but then I'm listening to the show and you drop a cosmic cat in there. And I'm like, wait a minute. I go back and listen to it. A few times, I'm like, oh, no way. There's got to be more than one. Um, and, and then finally, when we're when we're going back and forth, I'm like, by the way, did you live in this? And I'm feeling such like a stalker. It feels right, like a moment. I'm right. like, and then let me wear your skin. I know where you live. <laughs> uh, so I tried to like put enough where I'm not you know freaking you out, but also be like, I I used to shop there. I used to go there. Is is this roughly where you're at? And hopefully a way that didn't freak you out too much. Oh it, well, I, first I thought I was being punked. I seriously did. I'm like, okay, there's no way this guy's in Japan. He must know me from the shop because I worked at that shop for four years. And I'm like, there's, there's just no way possible. And then, and, and the 13 hour time difference too, by the way. So it was like two, three in the morning for me. So I was, you know, <laughs> delusional with sleep deprivation anyway. But no, I, it's just so exciting. And actually, I have told anyone that has stood still for more than 30 seconds that story because I'm just so excited about the fact that we found each other a world apart. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, since you mentioned that there's mm-hmm. not a lot of folks in Japan to talk about old school comics why don't you tell me your origin story with the jli how did you find it did you buy it at cosmic cat like where where were you buying it and why did you fall in love with the book so growing up and and kind of the origin goes into i lived in the small town outside of the big city which meant that i literally only got the things that were on on the racks on in the supermarket shelves sure uh, on on the occasion so and when you're when your access is that low you kind of gotta choose are you going to be a Marvel kid and try and find X-Men and Spider-Man, or are you going to go DC? Well, I ended up traveling the Marvel route. Uh, no, no, no disrespect, uh, DC, but you know, that that's what you do. You want to get some Spider-Man, you want to see some Cyclops and Wolverine having their, their fisticuffs, um, and, and there you go. So when time comes for me to go to college, I end up meeting a few friends who are a little bit older, a little bit more worldly in the way of comics, and we're talking about all these issues and all the great stories, and I mention how this was a few years after Peter David was off his original X-Factor run. Okay. That X-Factor
Doctor run was one of my favorites. Dude, to this day, issue 87, the, the psychologist issue, is one of my absolute favorites. Oh, it's it's brilliant. It, it still holds up to how to view Havoc, how to view Quicksilver, um, and, and those, those first five issues of it, the 71 to 75, or 75 to 76, uh, my, my knowledge is already going out. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, and because of their use of personalities, the use of humor really helped establish a friendship with those characters. So when something turning and dramatic happened, it just hit twice as hard. Mm-hmm. And you'll never believe this, but my friend Mike, who I'm giving Mike a shout out in this. Said, Hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Mike said, dude, if you like X-Factor, then you have got to read the JLA, JLI, JLE, the Bwahaha era of DC Comics, which had been over for years by that point. And one day Mike brought over a whole long box of every single issue from that whole thing. I'm talking about the JLE quarterlies, everything in there that backed up the story. So he could say like, just, just read these at whatever pace you want. Have fun. And I just fell in love with the whole uh, Giffen Dimitteus series. Just amazing stuff. That's quite a homework assignment, bringing a whole long box of comic books. <laughs> well, you know, that, that's the good thing of, of by that point, he'd, he'd seen me handle comics and known that I know how to put them in the bags and boards without bending the mess out of them. Isn't it funny how we judge people in that way? We absolutely do. We watch them like, okay, can I trust this guy? Can I trust oh, this guy? Oh, oh he, yeah. okay, he's good. He's good. Yeah, yeah. and then <laughs> like, mm, uh, uh, poor, poor, poor Dave, he's not going to get to read any of my comics. I'm, right. If he's lucky, I'll let him handle an old torn up paperback. But <laughs> not my floppies. He falls to the cover back <gasps> you just tossed it on the table <laughs> <laughs> give me that copy of sectars number one back damn it <laughs> well that's awesome and you know i i'm not sure if i had thought about the parallels between peter david's x factor and jli i mean it's uh it, it makes perfect sense to draw a, a, a straight line through those series the humor the the feelings the emotions all of it uh, it's a really really great analogy yeah yeah and, and and that was one of the things that like it took me a while to realize like oh my goodness that is why both of these all hold up is because they share that common bond of here's a team that is essentially a family mm-hmm. and they kind of protect themselves with humor. Yeah, it's a very family sense of the book and you're right that is exactly why you care about the characters and that's exactly why the big moments are hilarious and the hard moments are that much more heartbreaking. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And by the way no reason to apologize for being a Marvel fan. I started on Marvel myself. I'm just a few years older than you so I started a little <laughs> earlier than you. <laughs> yeah, you know and, and that, well, I think one of the one of the great things about coming together and how prevalent comics are now is that you don't have to have such fierce divisions between what's Marvel and what's DC. You know, uh, you it's okay for people to like both. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it, when we were younger, it, there was like a bit of a division between the two. You were one or the other. Nowadays, it's more like, uh, are you a fan of old stuff or a fan of new stuff? It seems to be the big division. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're all good. Although some there's something about revisiting youth that just kind of <sighs> feels comfortable. I just know I find my happy place in reading stuff from the old days. So that's who I'm a, I'm a get off my lawn kind of guy, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> well, let's get Kids into this these issue. Days. Yes. Right. 
Who touched the thermostat? Rah, 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 rah. <laughs> All right, let's get into this, folks. Justice League Europe number 17, published by DC Comics, cover dated August 1990. On the shelves, July 3rd, 1990. You could be reading this while you're watching the fireworks, actually. Cover price $1, and the cover was by Bart Sears and Randy Elliott. You want to describe the cover for us, Brent? Yes, I do. So on this cover, we have our heroes are approaching a kneeling Dr. Diehard as he gleefully summons a barrage of missiles from around the globe. If you look carefully, you can see the stars, possibly of China, a little bit of the CC, possibly for the CCCP, and even a U.S. and flag, perhaps. Our heroes are mostly staring upwards with mostly shocked expressions, and and that that's that's kind of our cover. You know, it's. <laughs> It's it's good. It's good. It's good. Why well, I sense some trepidation. So be, be honest. What do you think of it? It's it's like one of those things that I think on first glance the cover is is great because you've got that forefront image of Doctor Die Hard with his his face just looks creepy. He looks like a playing child almost. And yeah. you've got all those missiles really establishing the threat and the negative space in there forming the perimeter. It's really well done. But then the more I look closely at it, the more little details just kind of, you know, throw things a little askew. For example, whereas most of our heroes have appropriately shocked expressions. Look at, look at Metamorpho. Look at Wally. But then look at Power Girl's face. Yeah, okay, I see that. It's a little washed out, it's a little too... <laughs> I, well, I'll tell you, I'm looking at a digital version of it. Um, mm, I, mm. I got them on Comixology before they pulled these issues from Comixology. So with the digital, I'm able to zoom in really closely. It just looks like they wanted to focus on the feminine features. I mean, they really accentuated her lips. They made her eyes really big. So it looks like they're trying to go for that. Maybe the, you know, maybe some of the sex appeal or something rather mm. than giving it, like you said, everyone else's shock look. I do want to point out one more thing about Power yes. Girl. They miscolored her sleeves. They're supposed to be <laughs> white, but they made them flesh colored. And it actually looks kind of tough. I kind of like the short. I kind of like the short sleeves. Looks like she's here to kick some ass. You know, the sun's out, guns out. Kind you of know, thing I going. was just thinking that exact same thing. It's like, man, she came here to throw down. <laughs> Whereas, and, and again, just to follow up on the facial expressions, one more that just kind of, it's really distracting to me is, mm -hmm. is Ralph's face. Hmm. It, you know, he's got, he's got his nose out, which I guess he's smelling the mystery of like, hmm, these missiles are falling. Ha ha. It <laughs> kind of looks also bland the same way, like non, nonplussed, I guess. I don't, I don't know. He just, he doesn't seem reacting to what's around him. I will no prize it and say that of everyone there, Ralph has the longest tenure with the Justice League. <laughs> and he's, you know, when he was at the satellite era, he'd seen it all. So to him, he's like, oh, this is Tuesday, you know. So so what you're saying is the moment after this, a screen was was painted, he probably leaned down to Wally and said, you know what Barry would be doing about these missiles? <laughs> That's exactly what would have happened. And I, I, was, I, I cheated by looking at your notes in advance. I'm really glad you mentioned Ralph, because when you did, I looked at Ralph myself here and realized, oh, Blue Jay's on the cover. I've never <laughs> noticed that before. He's over there on the far right-hand side. It's... It's funny how Blue Jay ends up on a lot of these covers around this era that I never even noticed. Mm, mm. Along those same lines, I also have yes. to say that it's a, it's a very busy cover, okay? There's a lot going on, especially with the missiles. And for the last, I don't know, 10 years, I've always seen this cover as like a thumbnail on my comicsology mm. or whatever, right? And really didn't take time to... I, I honestly don't think I paid enough attention to this cover in years. And so until I looked at it to prepare for this episode... 
I don't think I even noticed they were missiles. Again, looking at it as like a thumbnail, I think it was just all Dr. Diehard's power is what I assumed it was, like some weird gravi- gravity or magnetism. So when we got do- ready to do this issue, I'm looking at it going, I was actually kind of fascinated with all the missiles and the detail they put in there because I just didn't see it. And there is a striking difference too, by the way, in the digital version versus the printed version. Uh, there's something about Bart Sears in this era that just the paper eats the color. It really eats the the blacks and like the cover here. And I'll put the digital one on the gallery, folks, so you can see it. But there's so much black and it's so dark and it's not that way on the digital version at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't have access to any of the uh, the original floppies, but the 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 black and grays on the digital one do look look very nice. A nice fold, but I can see how if it's minimized to a thumbnail, it would kind of look like the blur of Die Hard's power signature. Or I'm just stupid. It could be that as well. <laughs> well, <laughs> when you're a first time guest, you don't point out the stupidity of your host. That's, that's just common courtesy. That's actually why I have to change guests every episode. Uh, <laughs> so they never get too comfortable with insulting me. <laughs> Give me another 30 minutes and we'll, I'll get there. I'll get there. Right, right. Well, again, you were speaking Japanese earlier. It's probably all just negative things about me. Uh, so I, I do have to say too, Dr. Diehard, the, the whole thing with the DD on the chest and the DD on the belt buckle, it's a little too, uh, Superman Returns for me. With the, you know, it's like you're you're going for the branding a little too much, Doctor Die Hard. You see, I'm just I'm just thinking of uh, in in the the no prize story of it. Well, he's living with a bunch of villains. If he doesn't label each and every article of clothing, you know that Tracer is going to come out wearing his belt. He's just gotta, <laughs> there you go. I and I also want to ask on kind of kind of to the left of this is. Do you keep thinking Daredevil whenever you see that stylized DD? Or is it oh, Destiny? absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I keep trying to call him Dr. Destiny as well. I, I've, I've had a sp- <laughs> it, it, People may notice, or I, maybe I fixed it in editing. I keep going Dr. De- uh, Destiny or uh, Die Hard, whatever. And, and I, I wanted to ask one more question about it is, uh, are you familiar with the band Fishbone? I've heard of them. I probably, you know, if you played a song, I'd probably go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, not off the top of my head. Well, if, if you want to hear a really great rockin' song about people partying on the eve of nuclear annihilation, there is the song Party at Ground Zero. Oh, okay. Uh, so when I keep on seeing the party time at Ground Zero, I, I, I just keep on going back. Like, is that a Fishbone reference? It's got to be. But is it? But it's gotta be. Well, when did uh, when did Fishbone do their bit? Well, Party at Ground Zero was from 1985. Ah, okay. Yeah. See, I would I was thinking 1986 is Christmas at Ground Zero by Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> And the button has been pressed. <laughs> just let us know. Didn't know this was going to be a musical podcast at home, did you, folks? Yeah. <laughs> you, with me, you get bad music and more. And one last quick thought on the cover, because we should really get into this thing, is I do like sort of the Batman 66 kind of like 40-degree angle that mm-hmm. ca- the camera's been tilted at, so you always know it's a bad guy thing. I, I, I do dig that. I think that's well-constructed. Yeah, my final verdict would be it's a good cover, uh, and let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right, let's get on the inside, folks. Plot and potentially breakdowns by Keith Given. There's enough butt shots in it that I'm pretty sure it's Keith. (laughs) Script by Gerard Jones. Penciler is Bart Sears. Inker is Randy Elliott. So this is the second issue with Randy Elliott as Inker. Letter is Bob LaPan. Colorist is Gene D'Angelo. Assistant editor is Kevin Dooley. And editor is Andy Helfer. The issue itself is called The Extremist Vector Part 3 on the Brink. You want to start us off? 
Our heroes are picking themselves off the ground after the trouncing of last issue. They are shaken in defeat. Power Girl is angry. Flash and Metamorpho want to call in other heroes to assist. Captain Adam offers a less than inspiring pep talk, while Crimson Fox consoles Rocket Red on his loss. Meanwhile, nuclear arsenals around the world begin to launch. Generals panic as presidents and premiers assure each other that they are not responsible. The culprit is none other than the extremist Dr. Die Hard. <gasps> then issues an ultimatum to the world. 24 hours until they must choose surrender or death. A possible Maxwell Lord updates the UN on the JLI activities and in response, the delegate struggles to find a consensus until the extremists arrive to clarify their situation. Dream Slayer gives Max a direct example of mind assault. <clears throat> and Dr. <laughs> Diehard's excitement at the violence prompts Lord Havoc to offer a second foreshadowing warning to maintain concentration before yet again making his ultimatum surrender to us or be annihilated. All right, I'll take it from here. So the United Nations General Assembly acquiesces to the extremist demands, ordering metahumans not to interfere. We then see the dismayed reactions of superheroes around the world. Back in Paris, the JLE consults with Blue Jay, who tells them everything he knows about the extremists, including their possible weaknesses. The JLE decide that with this insider information, they are the best equipped on the planet to take on the extremists. The JLE tracks the villains down to Israel and engages them once again, but this time they are prepared. Metamorpho encases Dr. Diehard in a copper shell, cutting off his access to the electromagnetic spectrum. The rest of the JLE engage the extremists in a fierce battle, and our heroes begin to get the upper hand. However, without access to Dr. Diehard's powers, all of the missiles begin to drop out of the sky. Metamorpho is forced to release Dr. Diehard so that he can stop the missiles' descent before they detonate. Diehard catches them all at the last moment and returns them to their previous atmospheric position. Losing patience with the JLE, Lord Havoc orders Dream Slayer to send them to Carney. That's a quote, folks. I'm not just going crazy. <laughs> Dream Slayer teleports our heroes to the extremist home reality, the post-apocalyptic nightmare called Angor. Metamorpho describes it as, just like New York City, only cleaner. Next issue, it's a wacky, wacky world. Oof, all right. Bit of a roller coaster that one. So what did you think of this one? Well, if we're talking big picture here, then... You know, I'm kind of on the fence. Okay. Yeah, well, because this issue, I think I think it's, when it's good, it's really good and strong. However, there's, there's too many moments that are duplicated within the same issue that hmm. I think kind of keeps it from being a great JLE issue. It's a good JLE issue, but it, it doesn't stick the landing. Okay, so the, you mean the ending, you think, or just... Uh, well, so I, I kind of think that maybe it's not the landing, it's just the whole journey is there. Like, for example, we have the extremists issuing their demands to the world first over the, the video phone, mm -hmm. um, where essentially they're saying, surrender to us or die. And then about three pages later, they go to the UN where they deliver their message of, surrender to us or die. Mm. And, and straight away at the very start of the issue, the uh, the our Justice League Europe friends have the conversation of, oh, wh what do we do? Do we get more heroes? Do we fight it alone? 
And then near the end of the issue, they once again have that same kind of conversation while slipping positions. And, you know, it. all I'm saying is that when in your previous episode, you mentioned that this particular storyline started as perhaps three issues and then got padded out and padded out and padded out. I kind of feel like this issue is where that padding is the most obvious uh, because of the, the kind of repeating character beats throughout. Interesting. See, I, I'll take a little bit of an opposite position from Ooh, you in that I, because I feel like last issue was actually the padding. Because last <laughs> issue was like all the freaking travel from you know uh, from Paris to mm-hmm. Russia took mm-hmm. half the issue, and so the only meet the extremists for a couple of panels at the end, and then it's over. Mm-hmm. Now uh, that first confrontation does it sort of serves this issue because it says okay now we know the extremists are dangerous, uh, but I felt like this issue you got more of the confrontation. You saw the extremists confront the United Nations, and we saw our folks battle them, and then they got sent to Angor. So I feel like this issue actually paid off a little bit more. But you're right. I think there's no reason that these two issues couldn't have been collapsed into one. You absolutely could have had an initial confrontation at the beginning of the issue that only lasted a couple panels, and then have the same confrontation at the end. So this could have definitely been collapsed into one issue, without a doubt. I just feel like this one fared a little bit better. Now, all right, I'll pull back the curtain a little bit here, folks. Part of this might be simply, and and I'm, I'm a little saddened to say this, but I think we're at the point, 17 issues in on Justice League Europe, where we've actually reached the first time where I enjoyed the Justice League Europe issue significantly more than the Justice League America issue. So that may be why I'm a little more favorable on this one is I, as you guys heard the first half of the episode, uh, Justice League America wasn't my favorite this month. So that may be, it may just be me reading the two together. You know, you're you're in a safe place if, if you need to get the feelings... <laughs> Off, off your chest in your own show about about those complex issues, you know. Go ahead, and 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 it is possible to give the issue credit. I might be having almost the reverse of of all right. I get to be on this fun podcast where I get to talk about some of the greatest comics of of that generation. And but but I'm not loving this. I, I want to love the show. So it's, it's possible that kind of like high expectations is coming in. Obviously, I've read this several times in the past. But, you know, there's a difference between reading something just for the fun pleasure on it, where you get to skip to the next issue the moment you're done, and going like, no, no, no. I want to actually make cogent points of discussion about this issue. So let me really examine how it works and how it doesn't work. And, you know, in a brief reading, this holds up great. In a detailed reading, you. Man, this art's pretty. Oh my goodness. I love the art. I'm not all negative. The art is amazing. A surefire way to destroy any love for a comic is to spend, you know, 30, 40 (laughs) minutes talking about it because then you just have to tear it apart. And and another thing, too, and we talked about this a little bit last episode, and a lot, I saw a lot of this in the comments from people, and you guys chime in too on a website about this, is that I think maybe part of the failing of these is, again, the bad guys. Like, Mm. they're only so interesting. And it's probably because they are analogs of the Marvel characters that makes them a little bit of a disappointment. Like I, I, all the beats with the JLE, all the beats with at the UN, all the beats you know elsewhere where it's just not focused on the bad guys are actually rather enjoyable. It's the stuff with the bad guys where it's kind of like it's fine, it's fine, it's not amazing, it's not as great as I remembered it. You know, in my, in my mind, it was like, oh, the extremist saga's coming, hot damn, extreme. Well, it's, <laughs> it's uh, it's more like okay, that's it's fine. 
Well, and and I kind of got to agree with you there. And I think one of the weaknesses of the extremists is design work. It's it's great. They're very visually interesting. Even the fact that if you really look at a design work, they kind of do steer more towards Marvel. Which since mm-hmm. they're you know they're they're, they're an- analogs of Marvel characters, that's fine if they look a bit more Marvel than DC, especially at the time. But if you were to just look at the dialogue, very few of the characters have standout voices. You know if you if if you read the JLE, you can pretty much tell when it's going to be a Ralph line versus a Captain Adam line. Mm. But in a lot of this, Tracer has a strong voice. You can kind of yes. read his his lines and know what he's saying. Even Dr. Diehard has kind of, you know, the cheerio old boy type sound to him. But some of the other ones just... If you were to read Gorgon versus Dreamslayer, one's a guy with prosthetic antenna arm things on his head, and one's a multi-dimensional being. But they kind of sound the same. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and and even Lord Havoc, bless his heart, I don't know what was on my mind, but when I was reading through it, I kept on feeling like his voice is shifting between the, the kind of Doctor Doom pastiche that he is and Andy Griffith from Mayberry. <laughs> what? Are you, you, you got to explain that to me. Well, just... Lo- just <laughs> well, think about it. Like, if we turn our issue to page uh, 15, okay. and we just think about his line at the very bottom. Well, for God's sake, it is die hard. You're more clever than you know. Well, this <laughs> oh my God, I can hear it the now. First place of one of the planet's principal gods. Or, or, or even better, on page, uh, if we go to page seven, um, well, now that might be fine entertaining. We had a fine old time with that place you call Moscow. Gentlemen of Earth, you have 24 hours. Like, he just, the, <laughs> the pacing of it shifts into Mayberry, which I did a terrible Andy Griffith reputation. Even though I am from the South, it's hard to, to top uh, good old Andy. So I guess what we're saying is uh, he only gave Dr. Die Hard one bullet then, right? <laughs> Well, I, I want to touch back on the art since you mentioned yes. that. Um, yes. It is absolutely stunning. Uh, Randy Elliott is an exceptional anchor for Bart Sears. He does such a great job. I especially love, like on page three and four, there are some faces of military people. Mm. And mm. they look great. They're very expressive. They're very, they look different. They don't look like the rest of the JLE. Like a lot of times people say Bart Sears' faces will look the same. Mm. These are great examples on three and four of people that don't look the same. These people look very distinct. And Elliott did a great job with really thin thick black lines to really highlight the shadows on their faces and stuff like that. There's some neat coloring going on too. It just looks, especially in the digital version, it just looks great. I, I am in total agreement with you here because, you know, I'll, I'll admit I am one of those people that I have in a tremendous respect for Bart Sears. He can do some amazing things, but at times his style does kind of get a little too stylistic for my individual tastes. However, um, Elliot here just does a perfect job of of never betraying Sears' style, but still giving it enough depth and kind of... I don't know if it'd be kind of smoothing things out, but it just really... Their, their collaboration enhances the total package of the art. Yeah, it, 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 they're a great combination. And I, I someone had said in the comments that Randy Ellett becomes Bart Sears' regular anchor. I hope that's the case. I hope that is the case going forward. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a great match. They they lean towards each other in so many good ways. And, you know, and when you have Bart Sears, who you've commented on the past, and I want to get my chance to comment on it, that man can do some reflections. 
Yes. The way they work together in those reflections. Oh, oh my goodness. Some three just incredible examples happen in this issue here. All right, what you got? I got, um, if we look on the page 21 to kind of work backwards, where it's Captain Adam advancing on Lord Havoc reflected in the mask. Oh, yeah. You can still see those eyes shining out. Just both of them, the and the expressions work perfectly. You got uh, Gorgon reflecting the the double Rex while Rex is in his uh, shell form. Oh, right, right. Well, the the one I like about the Gorgon one, yes. is specifically that those lenses are curved, mm. and Bart Sears has taken that into account. Sometimes there's reflections. It's like okay, that's like a mirror. In this case, he actually took into account that the lenses would be curved, and so the the reflection of Rex is also twisted and a little morphed because of the the, the curvature. And I, that's very well done. And to be doing that while also taking into account that Rex is in like the the, the conical shape and still mm-hmm. preserving that, it's just fantastic. And and we even have a, a little bit of Blue Jay being reflected in Captain Adam during that big discussion scene uh, on on his shoulder. Where uh, this is on page thirteen, where Blue Jay's face is kind of oh, wrapping yeah. around Adam's shoulder, and he's still preserving that curve of the shoulder to kind of like squish Blue Jay's face in the appropriate place. Yep, it's just I, fantastic. I just, I just like that you said there's a little bit of Blue Jay reflected. That's funny. <laughs> oh, um, I need a drink. <laughs> As great as some of the moments are in this issue, to me it kind of comes down to how well are are the characters represented and how kind of how through is the line. And part of the things that gives me pause about wanting to overly endorse this issue as a shining example of it is there's there's too many little flip flops in the hmm. issue of, of what they're trying to express. Um, if we look at the very start of the book, we mm-hmm. have uh, Rex and Wally talking with Captain Adam, where those two here are saying, essentially, we just got our butt kicked. We should probably pull in some more heroes. Um, and Captain Adam going like, no, they just had superior tactics. We can do this if we team up. But then if we if we flash forward to that that Blue Jay scene later, those positions kind of reverse. I mean, admittedly, you have Blue Jay saying, I know the secret strategies. But then you have uh, especially Rex and and uh, and Wally and, and the other team as well kind of saying like, no, we can do it if we use teamwork. And it's them trying to convince Captain Adam. Which, mm. I mean, it, admittedly, we've all been in situations where the positions have reversed, but it it doesn't feel so much. Of there's like a through line of character. It just feels it's swapping places to kind of take up space. I, I see what you're saying. I'm going to take the opposite direction of the, of the discussion, though, because I just like telling you you're wrong. Um, <laughs> it, I so often am. <laughs> the way I'm reading the scene is in the beginning, they're saying, yeah, let's get some help because we just got our butts handed. And then here, it's not so much about they want to do it on their own. It's just a matter of they don't want to sit on their hands because mm. they're being mm. told you can't take any action. And they're over here going, come on, Cap, we can do this. Let's go. You said so yourself. They're trying to use his own argument against him, I think. And, and it's I'm sure they would bring in more help if they could. But in this point, it's just a matter of trying to get Captain Adam to get off his butt and go take action rather than staying home and following the rules. Because he even says here, you may as well get that out of, this is Captain Adam, you may as well get this out of your head. We have orders and we sit. Mm-hmm. And they're all upset. So mm-hmm. I read that instead as them just saying, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's take action. You know, you, you, you have a valid point. It's because I'm right. 
Hey, check it out. There's birds overhead. So <laughs> so I want to touch on something yes. along the lines of what you just said, mm. which is this interesting discussion in the beginning that should come up more often in superhero comics, which is when the heroes get their butts handed to them, why don't they call in other teams for help? Like They, they ask for it. We should go get Dr. Fate. We should go get the Just Like America. And Captain Adam's like, no, these are our villains. What? <laughs> Seriously? Is that how that works? No. They do this because it's the drama of a comic book. I get that. But it didn't turn out well for them here. If they'd gone and got the Just League of America, maybe they could have prevented the extremists from taking control of the Earth. So why doesn't this discussion come up more often? You know, I think I think depending on the size of the threats and the and the planning available for it, I I feel like it happens more than we're possibly aware of. Um, I'm thinking of uh, of all the times where I've seen the heroes going like, "My goodness, the Fantastic Four are off planet right now. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. we'd certainly recruit them." Um, they do that a lot in Marvel. You're absolutely yes, right. Yes. And, you know, maybe maybe that's just kind of like my background as a as a Marvel guy. A bit more of of seeing it. I'll hand that one to you. I just don't hear very often people going. You know, we should call the outsiders. We need some help. <laughs> well, maybe that's come just... on now. Would you call the outsiders? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> so when I originally read this issue through to kind of make sure my first pass read was just for pleasure, I read it late at night because you know I wanted to try and turn off that like overanalyzation and just read it one time just for sheer fun. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that really stood out for me was uh, Crimson Fox, who at this point, she's still kind of a blank slate. But, you know, as she grows, she kind of, to me, becomes one of the more interesting characters in the Justice League Europe. Um, she's not there yet, but she gets there. But I, I, I really like how... She's showing, like, the genuine concern for Rocket Red. You know, she's the one kind of reaching out, like, oh, man, you, your friends, your your colleagues were just brutally murdered. Are you okay? Which should, another thing that should happen more in comics is people kind of going, like, are, are you okay with this? Yeah, yeah. And then when, when Kara's kind of like, ah, I'll just recover for settling our lost dignity. And, and I kind of like Crimson Fox kind of, like, just t- taking her to task and, like, hey, I see why people all always say how you're being so sensitive and just kind of kind of letting letting power girl know or at least this version of power girl know don't express everything with anger but that kind of colored my my reading of all the other (laughs) one interaction with crimson fox is if we flash forward to page 18 when we got the great panel of power girl kicking gorgon in the head and crimson Mm -hmm. fox tackling him from behind power girl has the i'd worry about myself if i were you creep and ooh la la i must learn how to make uh, these quips and i was wondering is crimson fox is she kind of taking a dig on power girl right there because you know there's it, it depends on how you read it because you can have like well i'll take care of you t- creep and and crimson fox like oh oh creep wow that's a good quip Ooh, i heard y'all were funny and ooh, you called him a creep good job you actually I, i'm glad you brought that up because i that this line makes me cringe the ooh la la part i'm like oh really and then uh, but hearing it that that line might actually be sarcastic i like that i like that quite a bit that actually makes that a lot more acceptable because reading it straight it just it fell flat with me and i'm like oh so okay we're gonna decide right here now that that was meant sarcastically uh and it's brilliant so we'll go with that i like it where she's been like you got to be funnier than that oh my goodness because my observation of crimson fox in this issue unfortunately was outside of those two panels Mm -hmm. where she was relatively nice to rocket red she does nothing 
other than pose, look sexy, provide enough butt shots, uh, and it really felt like they were trying to find something for her to do. Like, they're looking at the team, like, okay, he's going to do that, and she's going to do that, and they're going to, oh, what do we do with Crimson Fox? Uh, she'll help take someone down and maybe say something nice to somebody. Because it just seems like she has nothing to do. So, I think it's a matter of they just haven't found her voice yet. Um, because yeah. you're right, they do find it later on, once they reveal her secret identity and all that. But for now, it just, it does feel like she's just there to look hot, and which is kind of disappointing. And she does it well, but it's disappointing. It's true. Well, it's a, it's a Bart Sears artist. Of course, of course she looks hard. Well, it's a Keith Giffen layout, so you know there's lots of butt shots. <laughs> and and even, I mean, sadly enough, like, to neither the art or the script are giving her much to do, because she almost, you could, you could almost read every panel she's in, where she kind of got added in as an afterthought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she's always, like, she's kind of behind Rocket Red, even in her best scenes at the beginning, you could totally see someone saying, like, dude, you forgot to put in, in Crimson Fox. Oh, man, let me quickly add her into the edges. Every other <laughs> scene she's in, she's kind of just superfluous. Kara's kicking Gorgon in the head. Ooh, let's have Crimson Fox tackle him as well. It's yeah. almost like someone forgot she was in the issue until the very end and then just skillfully found spaces for her. Well, they left her off the cover of last issue, so you might be onto something. <laughs> So a couple different things. First off, uh, I do the Doctor Die Hard and his powers, the magnetism powers. Mm-hmm. It got me thinking about this because I, I get that he could lift all the missiles into space. Makes perfect sense, metal, all that. But in the comic book, he actually launches them. He ignites their engines, and I'm, I kind of left me scratching my head, going, "Huh." How does that work exactly? But then I thought more because at some point they take control of the TV airwaves without ever explaining that either, by the way. So maybe one of them have computer control powers. I, I don't know if I'm no prizing this or I'm just supposed to accept that bad guys always have the power to take over TV stations because that's just what they do. You know, it, it it's it's the, the fuzziness of the extremists because the way the issue plays out, it would make sense if Dr. Die Hard is grabbing the missiles. But like you said, um, when, when we're seeing the uh, the ones, especially in uh, in Russia, I, I suppose, the missiles are firing. They're ignited. Yeah. And I, I, I searched really hard to find a way to me be like, ha ha, Shag, this is why you were wrong. And instead, all I can go is, um, missiles ignite when you pick them up <laughs> and you know the other one is just like uh, Lord Havoc has science kind of in the throwback comic books never had like biologists they had scientists which covered right. everything exactly uh, I love that you know like someone like Hank Pym you know he's a let's say he's a, a physicist well it just means he understands every single science that's out there yeah look I created shrinking rays as well as designed a robot you know those and, two and similar categories exactly right <laughs> <laughs> well, let's jump forward to the scene of the UN, because you brought up something in your recap. You said maybe Maxwell Lord. Well, I've got your proof that it is Maxwell Lord, okay? Yes. What is it? What so is it? go to page 10. Mm-hmm. And uh, first off, Maxwell, uh, this this you know person was saying, talking about the Just League International and using the, the pronoun our. So he was yes. talking about them as our. But then if you look on page 10, the third panel, yeah. he's talking to Tracer. And he says, if you want to help us make this decision, don't terrorize us. Give us some time enough to talk it out. And if you look behind him, there's some weird wiggly lines. And then Tracer immediately says, you know, I think this guy makes sense. Max actually used his mind power on Tracer. Oh. 
to, to say, back off, give us a little bit of time. Now, it might have been smarter to just say, go away. But it, <laughs> but here he says, give us some time. And Tracer, because he's probably not as intelligent as the rest, you know, he crumbled under Max's mental influence. And that's also probably why Dream Slayer strikes back with a mental attack. Hearing that, I was like, ah, that makes sense. You Because know, my, my original reading of it was, is he using our as, as Max? Or is he just using our as generic UN guy? If he's hmm. the main speaker, is he supposed to be the secretary of the UN? It's... You know, it's it's kind of a hard read. Well, they never say his name. You're right. It is a little weird they don't, considering how prevalent he is in the Justice League books. I completely agree with you that the likelihood of this being Max Lord is, is incredibly high. We're talking like 98% here. But then at the same time, when you have Dream Slayer then taking his revenge by like zapping the guy uh, in the head and breaking his brain, the fact that Dream Slayer didn't kill him also kind of just hurts the impact. Hmm. You know, yeah, no, that's fair. You know, and and, and again, it's, it's, it is what it is, but it is that kind of like, we are the ultimate killing villains. Um, whenever we have an opportunity to kill, we'd really just kind of hurt people a little bit. They do like torturing people. We know that. We do. But as long but as you're they're right. unnamed, unseen people or rocket rats. Right. Well, given you're right that this guy uh, got hurt so bad, maybe he is just a UN functionary and maybe not Max. I don't know. Huh. I, I, no, no. I mean, I think I think you're in entirely right about it being Max. I just kind of think that like that's one of the things that like this particular issue wants to have its cake and wants to eat it too. We want to show how much of a threat they are, but not actually have them go that extra round of doing like permanent wounds. But we want to put them in a place where it would be perfectly natural for them to do permanent wounding. Well, that's kind of like any action movie, though. You know, like uh, yeah, ton, yeah. tons of people get killed, but if your name's in the credits, you get to live. So <laughs> Now featuring so, Maxwell Lord. Exactly right. Now go to page 11 and, yes. uh, you know, like you said, they pronounce that we're here to take over the world for the second time in the issue. But where does that giant throne come from? Like, they invade the UN, they make their proclamation, they do a bunch of stuff, and then suddenly there's a throne in the UN for Lord Havoc? <laughs> I don't know where that came from, unless Gorgon built it from the wall. I, I, what? <laughs> we could just say Dream Slayer, I suppose, because apparently he can do anything. I, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree with you. Yes, it is, it is Gorgon. His, uh, his secret powers are prehensile head antenna and sculpting. It was his real passion. And, you know, uh, what you don't know is right now Tracer on the back of that throne is putting on a little sticker saying, my other throne is a pinto. It's, <laughs> So I'm just going to say Gorgon's one of those Lego master builders uh, from the movies who can build anything. So that works. That works. Yeah. That's why they can, he probably actually made something that helped uh, get them on TV. He, he cribbed together a, uh, a transmitter out of rubble. I love it. I love yeah. it. So jump forward to page 12. This one's a bit of a head scratcher. You get all these cameos of all the heroes around the world who are, who are upset that they're being told do not interfere with mm. the extremists for fear of letting the world get destroyed. So the cameos you get, uh, read it's a nine-panel grid. Again, you know Giffen did the layouts here. Oh, yeah. you, get, you get Clark Kent. You get Batman. You get uh, Robot Man and Rebus from Doom Patrol. Mm -hmm. You get Hal Jordan. You get a mystery panel. We'll come right back to. You get the, the dome, the headquarters of the Global Guardians. It's not labeled as such, but you can kind of figure it out. You get Elrond, who's still hanging with Magnicon, at least for one more month. Then you get another mystery panel we'll come back to. And then Peacemaker. Mm -hmm. So the, the two mystery panels, the first one, you uh, or we should say the bottom one first. That's a little easier. It's a guy with a beard reading a newspaper. Uh, looks like it's drawn by Dale Eaglesham, actually. The guy looks so 
uh, heroic with squinty eyes. But the internet seems to agree that that must be Cave Carson. I have no idea why they think that, but they do. Any input, any thoughts on that one? Because I, I had to research these to come up with anything. Oh, man. Like, that that bottom one, I, I can't even hazard a guess. Uh, yeah. Because it's it's generic bearded guy with with a jacket, which right. doesn't exactly lim- eliminate too many people. You know, I mean, it, it, it could just as easily be one of uh, Bart Sears' buddies. Right. Um, like, hey, here's my jacket, Beardy McJacket Man. <laughs> well, I was wondering if there was some kind of hint in the lines of, like, Armageddon and Buddy, and now, like, oh, is this Animal Man? But no, it's, uh, you're, we're going to go with either Bart Sears Buddy or Car- Cave Carson, one or the other. The, yeah. the middle one is the totally confusing one. It's a guy in, uh, he's in, like, a business attire wearing uh, a dress shirt with a tie and suspenders. He's got his jacket off because he's, you know, t- trying to look homesy and down home, I guess. But he's got green hair. He stole Doc Savage. Is short, like a short version of Doc Savage's haircut. Mm-hmm. And nobody seems to have any clue who this is supposed to be. The green hair, I'm assuming, is just a miscoloring. I don't know. See, this is where being uh, an old school Marvel fan just really runs into me because every time I try and think who this is, I keep thinking Leonard Sampson. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. And, and he's like, man, uh, I don't have time to talk these people through their personality problems. <laughs> and, but yeah. I mean, if, when you go through DC and you think green hair, and guys, you really only come up with like Changeling, Joker, the Creeper, nobody. I saw one place speculated that this is simply just Sarge Steel with his hair miscolored, which is is just as you know, if, if you were to say the hair is miscolored, then it could be just about anybody, any government guy, really. Yeah, I mean, because there's there's no heroes I know that their uniform look is is the 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 suit and suspenders. I mean, you might as well be like, oh, well, you know, uh, John Constantine has just been doing some working out um, and is at a board meeting for some reason at that stage. Once you start talking about coloring issues. Right. Yeah. So, folks, this will be up on the gallery page. I would love to hear your thoughts on the uh, the middle panel and then the bottom middle panel. Let me know if you have a, a lead on who these people were back in 1990 because it's kind of thrown us for a loop. Yeah, I have I, those those middle two ones. No idea. Um, yeah. Do we need to point out how uh, Green Lantern his lantern is miscolored as well. Do we get that? Well, and that may be what led to the miscolored hair. Yeah. It really could be. It could be a connection where they, they had a problem with the green plate or the white plate or something like that. And that may be a part of the reason it got miscolored. Because yeah, it's it's not even just pure green. It's like a lime green and then a blue, but it's a different blue from the sky. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. Very strange. Welcome to dissecting coloring errors. <laughs> Well, I've only got two things left. One is that the Justice League Europe, when they attack the extremists, it's actually a pretty decent plan. Uh, cutting off Dr. Diehard with the copper was a really good idea. Uh, I, I was pretty pleased with actually how I, this was constructed and put together and, and paid off. It, oh, the only thing was the whole idea of if you take Dr. Diehard's powers away, the missiles will fall. Why they didn't think about that? You know, they try and say, oh, we thought they were in orbit or whatever. I don't buy that. Like, even me, as a comic reader, thought, <laughs> you know, if they cut off Diehard's power, what about the missiles? So it just that one I don't know. Do you have a where are you on this one? I'm 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 there in that I really do think it is it comes all back down to that like we figured they were orbital, either because they just assumed that the extremists wouldn't be quite so foolish about just leaving a whole bunch of rockets since they're launching their engines are still going pointing at the earth um or they just didn't expect that they would be that powerful to uh to hold them there continuously so either uh, the combination of those like nope it only makes sense if those rockets are orbital and they would pull them back in um which you know 
It's not the the greatest, here's why we did what we're doing, but they also didn't call any superheroes, so they're really rolling a lot of dice on this attack. Yeah, they really are. You're, You're not wrong about that. So and where it lands them at the end of the issue is they get shunted over to Angor, which depending on pre-crisis, post-crisis, it's either another world, another dimension, you know, however you want to look at it. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they're there in Angor, and the final splash page actually is kind of clever. It's Bart Sears reusing his art from the opening splash page mm-hmm. on Just League 15, Just League Europe 15, which was the, the first part of the story. The opening splash page had Silver Sorceress uh, there in Angor, and now it's the exact same page. I mean, it's, I don't even think he even redrew it. I think he just lifted the art. And he's dropped in the JLE in the same panel. Yep, he's he's dropped in the JLE. You've got the Just Say No sign, which was the uh, the title credit. Yep, uh, exactly right. One. The, uh, the, the creator credit is now the Fly to Flow, which I guess uh, even Angor has a Florida. Right. <laughs> well, they have an American flag too, apparently. Well, you know, you, know you, you, you get some good ideas and you just stick with it. <laughs> now, which is, it's one of those, wow, it's a really great usage, but it's also one of those things that I just... The more I think about it, the more I just want to know, how long has it been since Silver Sorceress arrived? And what in particular has that skull and the rat in the, the top right been talking about for those many days? <laughs> it's true. The rat hasn't moved in like whatever, three, four days, has it? Like, are they just having like, a, maybe they're just sitting there like, no, I'm telling you what that panel means is this. Are you kidding me? You're wrong in your interpretation of this comic book. Because, you know, guys, we'll talk about comic books for days. I was going to say they're arguing about the secret of Nim, but whatever. <laughs> well, arguing over uh, which which is better, the Marvel Universe or the DC Universe in terms of movies. Something really flammable. Right. Well, back then in 1990, really, you know, it was Batman 89. That ruled the box office for sure. Uh, in Angor, uh, you know, the movies came out earlier. There's a there's well, a great I, Captain America movie that came out in the 90s. That's right. Well, if you think about it, everything's reversed, right? You know, Angor is <laughs> supposed to be the Marvel equivalent, so you're right. And there... It's all the Marvel movies. That's fair. It was Captain America 89 was the big deal, I guess. Yeah. All in all, I think I might be a little more um, excited about this particular issue than you are. But overall, it's a pretty good issue. It it is a pretty good issue. And I I hope I didn't come off as being like too negative and turning off all our listeners out there. But it's just there's so many moments where it it got so close to being great. And then it just kind of like like fell away. You know, sometimes the approach to greatness and missing it shortly is what is more damning than just something that's moderately good. That's fair. That's fair. You know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. I mean, yours is wrong, but it's okay. <laughs> Everyone's entitled to have their own. <laughs> well, all right, folks, we are going to go into now a segment where I get to sit back, quite frankly, and take a, take a break, thank goodness, and let you do all the talking. Something I like to call the... Character Spotlight. This is where the guest is going to be asked to share some thoughts on a character from the issue. Not really an origin recap, but more about where the characters were in the DC Universe just before joining the JLI and what kind of impact the JLI had on their careers. So, could you tell us, sir, a little bit about Silver Sorceress? I will. In 1971, Roy Thomas and Mike Friedrich set out to rock the comics world, or at least fully commit to a gag that had been attempted two years prior. Now, Marvel got the Squadron Supreme, and DC got the Champions of Angor. And more importantly, for this character spotlight at least, we were introduced to the Silver Sorceress. Now, hold on to your butts, because even though Shag has asked to not overly explore origin, 
origins, but to explain the connections to the current league in this form, I will be painstakingly walking you through every pre-Bwahaha appearance of Laura Cynthia Nielsen, a.k.a. Silver Sorceress. To start with, there was the no, aforementioned Brent. Justice League of... Brent! Okay, is you... Brent! Yeah? Brent! Huh? We, we, talk, we talked about this, man. Well, it's all laid out in the Google Doc. This is not an origin well, recap. We've, we've done this. Uh, what are you doing, man? Well, I mean, that, that, that's what I'm trying to t- tell you, Shag, is there was really only one pre-Giffen Demetrius appearance of Silver Sorceress. I mean, listen, in, in the DC website, she only has a mere 39 listed appearances, and some of those are really appearing only in photo form in the issue. So, I mean, telling the listener what she's been up to in, in the current JLE is basically recapping the issues that you've just spent the last few years recapping on this very show. I mean, do, do, do the listeners really need to hear how she and Blue Jay and Juan Gina came to Earth initially in a mission to save them from a similar fate as Angor by destroying all nuclear weapons? Or how about she just so recently smuggled in a serum to regain her powers and escape from a Russian prison? To, to be honest, this strength of this character isn't really rooted into what she has done so far, but it's how she is going to be using in these upcoming issues. All they really need to know is that she has her basis in those early issues, and now she's basically being used freely by the current creators to do some really great stuff that I'm not going to tell our listeners about, because that's going to be some pretty spoileristic information, and, you know, I'm just not that kind of guy. Instead, what I want to let all our listeners in on is a secret rumor that I am currently hearing on this very podcast. DC is allegedly at work on a secret limited series television event where Silver Sorceress and her robot lover... Let's say Red Tornado. They're trapped in the old versions of video games, with each new episode reveals more mysteries while updating the visuals to match a different era of video games. That's right. <laughs> Reviewers are already calling it a mind-blowing masterpiece, and that the Pong-inspired episode offers some truly back-and-forth dialogue. So... Check out your local listings this fall for Silver NATO. <laughs> well, I hope Silver Sorceress gets nominated for an Emmy for all her hard work in it, too. <laughs> I mean, she, she's got to be. She's, you know, beep, boop, beep, boop. That's, oh, man, the sound of greatness. I got to tell you, that was a long way to go for a bit, and it really <laughs> paid off. I like that. Thank you very much. I like a scenic walk through the park sometimes. But, I mean, yeah, she, she is a fun character, but that's that's hard to spotlight someone who's really only appeared in these issues. Well, then I'll, I'll put the question to you. I don't remember the future issues of Just League Europe. I read them all. I was mm-hmm. there from, you know, but I don't recall them. So does it pay off? Is she a character worth getting invested in? And they do they do enough with her later to be like, okay, this is a character I can root for? I want to say yes. And the reason I'm saying I want to say is because I I last read these issues about two, three years ago. Okay. Um, But when it came time to discuss this particular issue, I made the choice of to read the the series up through now of JLE, but to not go further. Because I didn't want to accidentally let it slip. So I remember all of this, all the champions of Angor and all of this really having a great payoff in the breakdowns time timeline. Mm-hmm. So it's worth it. It's worth getting invested because I think they do good things with her. 
But, you know, as, as always, your, your mileage may vary. I, I find it fascinating that they took a couple of characters that were literally created just for fun as analogs to Marvel characters and had them join the Justice League. I mean, that's crazy. Now, obviously, Marvel's done the same. Hyperion's joined the Avengers at some point. But, it, it, I mean, they went, they went for two very minor characters. And I guess it's just they saw the opportunity, which is pretty cool. Well, I mean, that, that I think one of the things that really works so well with this era is when it comes to a lot of use of characters, there was a lot of bravery and how far can we push certain things? You know, we haven't even gotten to, uh, to is it is it General Glory? Right, right. You Coming know? soon. Yeah, now that's some impressive comic book bravery. <laughs> and a very divisive character. A lot of people feel uh, very strongly one way or another about him. So I am interested to see when we get there how everyone feels about it. Yes. And Silver Sorceress is is a bit of a milder version of that. She's easier to take because of how she's used. But, you know, ultimately, if you love these series of comics, I think she's worthwhile. If you're just kind of passing on it, then, well, she is ultimately forgettable in the grand scheme of things. If nothing else, hang around for the bunny ears. <laughs> Which they freely acknowledge in the letters page, by the way. They totally uh, cop to the fact that she's got bunny ears for no good reason. So... <laughs> And, and where's the silver? It's her hair. But, you know, I mean, there you go. No costume. Now, is it worth mentioning that she is also the second DC character to, to wear the name Silver Sorceress? What? Yeah, that's cool. right. She is actually the second character to have that name because in showcase number 63 from 1966, the Inferior Five faced a team of supervillains based on Marvel Comics Avengers. And they also had a silver sorceress, but the, the, the word around the campfire is that that version is otherwise unrelated to this one from Angor. How interesting. Yeah. So they both, so both times they're analogs of Scarlet Witch. Huh. That is crazy. I'm gonna have to look that up. That is, and and if it's inferior five, you know it's got to be funny. So, <laughs> no, I've never read that issue, so I can't really, I can't really go into it. But I'm just saying that's that's what uh the the DC fandom page offers up. I just heard Brent say it's the funniest thing he's ever read in his life. So that works. All right, folks. Gut busting. All right. Well, now we are going to move past the character spotlight. Thank you so much for all that great, wonderful information you provided. <laughs> Bucket loads. <laughs> As we move into the. One Punch Award. This is where we nominate our favorite moment from the issue, whether it be fantastic or shocking, dramatic, funny, awe-inspiring, whatever. Both myself and Brent will pick one moment, and only one will be awarded the coveted One Punch Award. So, Brent, you're the guest, which is unfortunate for everyone listening, but what do you got? <laughs> A chip on my shoulder now. <laughs> but now my going into this is I'm, I'm, I'm a guy who really likes uh, the, the dialogue in the comics to flow, and sometimes it's, it's almost as important to me to have that meshing with the art than just some brilliant art because it's hard to pick out the brilliant art in this book but to have a full page a full moment where both the art and the words work naturally together I went through and I gotta say it's it's the splash page on page five where it's uh, Dr. Die Hard really reveling in his power as he fully has the, uh, the nuclear armaments from around the world in his control the glee of it the power that's emanating from him, the other heroes, or not the heroes, the other villains just watching him as he does his thing. It's it's a really impactful page that kind of sets this whole issue in motion. Without it, this issue has 
no no progression. I like that page as well. I, I think it's uh, it's definitely a kapow moment. You know, mm. you go to the next page, it's like, wow, full page. He is reveling in it. He's floating. You're looking up at him, which is really great. The dialogue is really what makes it work. The break out the champagne, and then he says the, the planet is ours. I mean, those are great. The only failing of this page for mm. me is the only representation of his powers is just some glowing lines coming off his hands. Mm. Like, if you could see the missiles, even if it was inset panels, I don't know, whatever, if we had something to be able to see the actual what he's doing on this page, I think it would have worked a little better, but it is a really great page. Mm-hmm. My moment was uh, was also involves Dr. Diehard, but it's a different one. It's over on page 16. It was when the bad guys are getting ready to go into their headquarters, and all of a sudden, the Justice League Europe attack. I love the moment where Rex just encloses Dr. Diehard in the copper mm. sphere, and then Lord Havoc is just not having it, but then he gets blasted by Captain Adam, who's flying in. So it's just a really well-orchestrated ambush by the Justice League Europe, and I thought it was really great, and it was kind of one of those punching-the-air moments where, like, yeah, we're taking it back, man! So I, that was the moment for me. So now we got to decide which is walking away with the, with the award you know i don't want to give it to you but i do want to kind of shave off a little bit and say the thing that i'm looking at right now that just no matter how many times i look on it makes me want to smile and laugh is the shine off between Lord Havoc and Rex in their metallic forms. Just okay. one little panel of those two shiny guys just reflecting at each other. That's making me giggle the whole time I'm looking at it, trying to think <laughs> of reasons why you're wrong. I keep on going, <laughs> they're so shiny. Well, yours is definitely a bigger kapow. I mean, I, I could actually I could actually fold on this pretty easy, because I think your moment is supposed to be a much bigger moment than mine. So I'd actually, I don't say this often, I'd be willing to hand it over to you and say we could award it to Dr. Diehard. Well, then let me let me further convince you and by saying your your one flaw in it, the whole previous uh two page buildup was showing how the missiles are launching. And so this yeah. you're seeing it, and so now you're seeing the it is mine. So you don't necessarily need to see the missiles, because up until that scene of going on, this is the reveal of what has been happening. Showing the missiles in this page would almost be superfluous, because now you know who has taken control of the missiles. You know what? You're right. There, You get two pages of, of mystery of what's happening, what's happening, what's happening. And you're right. There's the payoff. So, all right, there we go. So congratulations to Dr. I was going to call him Dr. Destiny again. Congratulations to Dr. Diehard. Uh, <laughs> you are the winner of the One Punch Award. Please wear it with pride. It is as tangible as our love for this moment. Ah, that was great. Good good call, sir. I don't like to lose often, but you, you, you're you right on this one. Well, after so many losses this episode, I believe uh, I deserve it. Um, <laughs> my superiority reign supreme. I need you to take that superiority because I need a favor. Uh-oh. So you're going to use that superiority to be the better person here because uh, I, while the Justice League Europe is trapped in Angor, I need someone to hang around here and keep an eye on the Paris Embassy and with your superiority, you're just the guy to do it. But don't worry, both Sue Dibney and Catherine Colbert are here too, so they can make all the important, like, intelligent decisions. You're more here for grunt work, you know? The last time someone talked about my superiority this much before asking me to take care of things, I spent the whole day mopping. So, back to the bucket. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And don't worry, Brent. We will bring you back at the end of the show. And while Brent's taking care of this for us, folks, I'm going to read your listener feedback in a segment called... Justice Log.
Now, before we get started, we've got a little bit of news. Last month, they announced the Human Target miniseries, which will feature the classic JLI as supporting characters. This looks very exciting. The story is going to be written by Tom King with art by Greg Smallwood. Then over in the media front, a Batman The Long Halloween Part 2 has been released on Blu-ray and DVD and such. Came out in August. This includes a DC showcase short all about Blue Beetle. This is a very classic looking Ted Cord Blue Beetle and features some of the other Charlton heroes as well. Then Kevin McGuire posted on social media lately. This is kind of interesting. He found some old Xerox copies of the entire issue of Justice League number five. That's right. The one punch issue. So altogether, this was 22 pages of Xerox copies of his original pencils. Uh, They were Xeroxed at the size of 11 by 17. Now, he put them up on eBay for collectors who might be interested, and they sold for just under $1,000. I want you to let that process for a minute. Somebody paid $1,000 for Xerox copies of his original pencils. Wow. Okay. Then, somewhat related, the current Blue and Gold miniseries, uh, when issue number four comes out in a few months, it will have Kevin McGuire and Dan Jurgens providing some of the inside art to go alongside with the series artist Ryan Sook. How cool is that? Kevin McGuire drawing the blue and the gold again. Something we've all been wanting. All right. Then, uh, folks, as we get into this, please get out on the social media. Use our hashtag PoundFWPodcast. Tag us at JLI Podcast. As I always say, it's about building a community of JLI fans around the show. Now, remember, when you're posting your comments, if you're out Outside of the United States, please let me know and we will assign you the appropriate embassy. Now, this is part of the show. Normally, I read iTunes reviews. We haven't gotten any in a while, actually. And don't get me wrong. We've got a ton of them out there and I'm very thankful for them. But you know what? Uh, I think my ego needs a little bit more. So if you haven't left an iTunes review, please consider doing it. It really helps raise the profile of the show. And it's something you can do to help support the show and say thank you for uh, whatever you might be enjoying from it. And if you haven't left a review and you choose not to, well, then I'm going to probably send the extremists over to your house to steal all your nuclear weapons. That'll teach you. All right, we're going to get into your comments here. These coming from our website, email, social media. Just going to be pulling bits and pieces of it because, as always, there's a ton of feedback here. And for the most part, we're going to be covering the most recent episode featuring Justice League America number 40 with Dr. G, the man of nerdology, and Justice League Europe number 16 with Lucien Dazar. First up is Siskoid from the Maritime Canadian Embassy. He does shows such as the Zero Hour Strikes, Give Me That Star Trek, which, by the way, I guessed it on this past week, and many more. Siskoid uh, wrote in to say, Petition to make these sad issues part of the Boo Hoo Hoo JLI podcast. It's a terrible pun, but it's absolutely true. Those were some very rough issues to get through, Siskoid. Very sad. They are from Gus Casals from Argentina Embassy. He does shows such as the Alfred Pennyworth Presents podcast and his Legion 60 Years Later podcast. Gus writes in to say, okay, so I am weeping over just the cover description. This is going to be one of those issues slash episodes. And he said, before we get into the details, the one thing that strikes me about this issue, even 30 years later, is how it deals with the funeral and the associated grief straight-faced. I mean, we know... Mr. Miracle is alive. Yeah, the creators know it as well, but we treat it as if it's an actual death of a major character. The fact that there's not a single wink to the camera or between the lines or a cutaway to actually Scott in space, this is brought home completely with a Barda moment. This is the widow reacting as the widow, whether she's superpowered apocalyptic or not, how the widow would react. Excellent stuff, the kind of thing we know Demetrius can really do, but we don't expect here. Oh, all good points, Gus. He also says, as for the Superman Batman interaction, I put this in the same category as the Booster Gypsy. You don't 
talk business at your close friends' funerals. Full stop. I'm with Bruce and Ted on this. And of course, thinking of this issue means thinking about the guy in Ice Page, one of my top moments in all comics of all time. Ooh, that says a lot, Gus. And he says, uh, regarding Just League Europe, he says, it does feel a lot like padding or a placeholder. Gorgeously drawn, though, a note on Randy Elliott. He becomes the go-to Sears inker in many projects, including Eclipse of the Darkness Within. I really like how he tightens Bart Sears' style. A great match. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong there, Gus. Randy Elliott is fantastic with Bart Sears. He looks really, really great. Then we heard from Rob McCarthy that says, nope, don't buy it. A Batman who dislikes Superman doesn't care at all about Mr. Miracle. And this started quite a bit of conversation, actually. Then Martin Gray from our Scottish Embassy in the Too Dangerous for Girl blog says, I'm with you. They had a few Brave and the Bold team-ups pre-crisis, but they were never shown as close. Tim Price from the Outcasters, Batman and the Outsiders podcast, and the Batgirl Huntress podcast says, for a contrast, I look at how Batman and Mr. Miracle were, were portrayed in the first seven issues of this series. Batman treats him like an equal, asks for his expertise, and calls him Scott most of the time. Especially in issue number seven, when Miracle flies into the giant death ray of death with a shouted Scott! So I'm fine with their implied friendship, but your mileage may vary. Chris Franklin chimes in uh, from the Firewater Podcast Network. He does shows such as the JLU cast, Superman 3 Movie Minute, and much more. Chris says, There are certain heroes Batman always seemed more comfortable around, and it was usually folks he could relate to. Like Ralph, because he's a detective. Ollie, because, well, he's a Batman clone to begin with. Barry, because he was a criminologist as well. And Scott, because he was an escape artist. Retcons be damned. In the original comics, he did seem to have more of a connection with these people. Then Rob McCarthy chimed back in at the end, you know, the thread that he started off, and he pointed out uh, a couple different ways to look at it, and he says, I can very easily undo my own argument. Yeah, so Rob was able to see both sides of the coin. They were from Michael Kramer. Says, the interesting thing about the funeral is that Highfather himself is attending. No one sees him except the reader. Now, among his many abilities, I'm reasonably sure that Highfather would be one of the very few New God characters to actually know the truth about Scott's real predicament and ultimate fate. That said, could it be that he does know and that he's only attending because he knows that the few New Gods that are there would notice him lurking nearby and more importantly, they would notice if he wasn't there? Hmm, interesting thought. Yeah, uh, guilty by absence uh, could have been a point so maybe he was there just for that reason they were from Everton Vieira do Carmo from our Brazilian embassy. He says, I put this along with Superman in the best comic book deaths. The fact that the writers have done a morning edition for a character who hasn't even been dead and that's still touching is something amazing. Max's reaction of preferring to end the team than leaving them in danger only makes me hate the OMAC project even more. And he says about Just League Europe, I swear Dimitri is the character that's gone through the most evolution in the league and has never been a protagonist in any edition. You know, you got a great point there, Everton. <sighs> Poor Dimitri. He really does deserve the spotlight more. I heard from Liz Ann Oswald, who has her own YouTube channel. Liz says, kind of sad that a robot of Mr. Miracle gets a funeral, but Steel doesn't. That's a bit messed up. You know, that is a great observation, Liz. Yeah, Steel from Just League Detroit, who just died an issue or two ago, didn't even get a funeral, and yet Mr. Miracle did. That is pretty crazy. Liz goes on to say, Max is cool in this, and this is him handling grief. Someone should show this to the guys with a Checkmate comic. Just saying. Mm, You're not wrong there. You heard from Mike Dynas from the Pacific Canadian Embassy. Mike says, Shag, it was hard to hear you were getting choked up about the jail issue. It seems like it really affected you. I think it comes down to the amazing writing by DiMatteis and the awesome art by Hughes. They did such a great job of describing and showing the different stages of grief. And that look with ice on her head on Guy's shoulders says so much. Then specific to JLA, he says, as great as the issue is, I don't know why, but I never found it that terribly sad. And I cry at the drop of a hat. I cried after reading Crimson Avengers Who's Who page. Uh, I probably shouldn't have admitted that. Anyways, I'm guessing it didn't break me because I never enjoyed anything to do with the new gods. So having Mr. Miracle die wasn't that big a deal to me anyways. Uh, I'll just add my commentary to that. Folks, you heard it here first. Mike Dynas is a broken person. Mm. So sorry, Mike. Then Mike comments on the cover to Just Like Europe where it says terminated with extreme prejudice. He says, sounds like that's what the 90s tried to do to the comic book industry. 
That's fair. That's fair. Remember from Jason R. Lady, who's the author of the young adult humorous fantasy adventure novels, Monster Problems and Super Problems. He says quite a bit here, but I'll just cherry pick some of his comments about Justice League America. He says, it is very much a showcase for these characters, getting to show different sides of them and how much they care about each other. Ice is a good choice for Team Counselor, and it's a role I wish we'd seen her in more often. And then he poses the question, is Gypsy a minor? Not only do they not address her funeral arrangements for her family, they also never explain her legal status. Does she have guardians? Does Jean become her guardian? How can she apparently live independently and work for the conglomerate? Not to mention later the Justice League Task Force, unless it's implied that she was aged up a bit. Um, You know, Jason, I think that is the implication. I think we're supposed to assume that Gypsy is at least 18 now. I'm guessing that, putting my own thoughts there, there's nothing in the comics that, that I know of that specifically states that, but that's my take. And he goes on to say another dimension of the Batman-Superman conversation would be Batman being frustrated at Superman for not joining the League, even though at this point Superman's been asked at least twice. The most powerful superhero on Earth can't commit to the League, yet shows up and urges them to beef up their strength? I can see that annoying Bats, especially since Bats has no powers, yet at least he commits part of his time to the team. That is an interesting observation I had not thought of. That's really good, Jason. Then about Just League Europe, uh, we were pretty critical last time about Captain Adam's decision to fly the League over to Russia rather than take the teleporters. Well, Jason's got some thoughts on that. Jason says, I think Captain Adam made the right call not to use the teleporter. It seemed like only one was operational on the Russian end, so the team would have been forced to go one at a time. I suppose you could send Cap first, since he's invulnerable, but it's never a good idea to send your forces through a potential choke point where they can be picked off one by one. As a military officer, Cap probably thought about that and chose to take the jet instead when they could all show up and attack at once. Wow, that is some great no prize there uh, work Jason I will give that to you they were from Martin Gray from the Scottish Embassy he has his Too Dangerous for Girl blog Martin says the JLA cover is decent but I'm not convinced by that angel statue look at the positioning the angle it's leaning right over the headstone so if it's proportional the torso and head will loom awkwardly over the flat area banging into people trying to lay flowers (laughs) that is an interesting observation Regarding Just League Europe, Martin says, I've been to St. Petersburg, and I think I saw Rosa and her other seven sisters in a street choir. They're rather good. (laughs) And then he says, it only just hit me. The colors of your show logo are blue and gold. That can't be accidental. Thank you, Martin. Thank you for noticing. I'm glad someone picks up on these little subtleties I drop in the show. Then we hear from Symbol Pending from the UK Embassy, and they have their Symbol Pending Power Girl blog. They say, as a first-time reader of the Just League Europe issue, I couldn't help but feel like it was a filler issue. So I'm glad I wasn't the only one feeling that way about the issue, as good as it is. Though I'm here for the soap opera parts of the story, so the whole disaster porn of the extremists really isn't my thing. Then, as our local Power Girl expert, Simple Pending says, as to the issue of Power Girl's boobs, a gig I really didn't sign up for, I think that it's this much derided costume that makes them more prominent than her original costume. Being more figure-hugging, plus the gold and white banding just seems to highlight them more than normal. Well, you know, you may be right, Simple Pending. I, I think it's down more to the artist. I think it's down to Bart Sears rather than the costume. Frankly, I thought the old one was extremely form-fitting as well. It's just Bart Sears draw them like somebody just stepped out of a swimming pool or something. It's so form-fitting. Then Simple Penning goes on to say, I promise I will never not love when Stinky appears in an issue. And whether it's the same cat or not really seems to rely on that one eye, the one that eye that's shut. Later versions of the cat have two perfectly fine eyes, so it could be argued that it's different if this Stinky lost an eye in a cat fight. Yeah, I, I want Stinky to be the same cat from every Power Girl series, so uh, I think in my head canon, I'm just going to make it that. Reverend Brian Lentness says, okay, now I need to see a Just League America Doctor Who crossover where the JLA receive a mysterious shipment of angel statues. They place the statues all around their headquarters and the power goes out during a thunderstorm. Hilarity and horror ensue. <laughs> As a Doctor Who fan, I love that idea, Brian. Though Simple Pending says it wouldn't work because Batman never blinks. <laughs> 
They are from Chris Franklin from the Firewater Podcast Network. He does shows such as JLU Cast, Superman 3, Movie Minute, and much more. Chris says, great episode as always, gentlemen. I think one reason this issue may seem like the better funeral comic over anything in the Death of the Superman funeral for a friend is that off the top of my head, the funeral itself wasn't a huge component of that. Everything leading up to it and after it was, but the actual ceremony oddly wasn't. Hmm. That's a fair point, Chris. It could be that the funeral itself just didn't have the emotional pack that the rest of those issues did. Maybe this one wins by comparison. Then Chris says, this issue was so well done, despite knowing Scott was still alive. Then Chris says, I feel like the Just League Europe issue, if it were to come out now, half the team would have actually been brutally killed off. Even though the extremists are nasty and horrible, mainstream comics still wouldn't cross that line into brutally killing off characters with potential, especially the main stars of a book. Give it a few years, and Eclipse will take out a whole swath of long-standing DC characters in his ongoing series. And nowadays, oh boy, The Flash would probably survive, the only guy with his own title. The rest would be cannon fodder to show how horrible and badass and extreme the extremists really are. You might be right. Although I will say, I have read some modern comics from DC. Those particular comics I've read were pretty upbeat, so I'm really hoping we're starting to turn a corner. You heard from Tim Price from the Outcasters, Batman and the Outsider podcast, and the Batgirl Hunters podcast. Tim says, back in the day reading this comic fresh off the stands when Booster quit the team, I was thinking, ah, he'll be back. And then in Just League 40 comes along and Ted decks him. This just got me because it's like the blue and the gold has died. The rip between the guys has consequences. So no mistake, this is a huge moment. Then Tim says, in Just League Europe number 16, Flash is ready to fight on the first page. And he's the only one barely conscious on the last page, struggling to keep going. I love the symmetry. Plus it shows Wally was not all talk, in my opinion. Then he says, Tracer doing a walking handstand makes him infinitely more interesting and disturbing than his Marvel analog. Oh, poor Sabretooth. Then last time I asked you guys for some help in the Just League Europe issue, I asked you guys to look at that one panel of various extremists, ones that weren't named in the issue, and to sort of hypothesize which ones were analogs of other Marvel characters. And I would like to thank Tim for being the only person who did his homework. So thank you, Tim. He says, I'm terrible at guessing who's the basis for the other extremists, but if it wasn't already suggested, the big forehead guy could be an analog of the leader. Good call. I like it, Tim. Then we heard from Diablo Frank from the Rolled Spine Podcast Network, which includes shows such as the Martian Manhunter Podcast, and he also does a Justice League Detroit blog and many, many more. He says, thanks to Dr. G and Shag, I know despair. I'm going to guess that's some sort of sarcastic veiled attack at us because we probably mispronounced Despero again. So, uh, sorry, Frank. It's it's a real problem, and it's it's not just limited to us. They were from Chris Lister. He says, I just got my JLI volume to Omnibus, so I'm afraid I'm a little late to the party. I just read the Teasdale story, and I found one thing peculiar. Why does everyone find it so hard to believe that vampires could exist? We're talking about a team that has its a roster of a shape-shifting telepathic Martian, an element man, a time traveler, a mystic that's of the combined form of two people, etc., and which routinely deals with alien invasions and mystical incursions. Nobody at all seems shocked to learn that this has all been part of a plan by the Grey Man to acquire the dream essence and soul stuff of humanity, but they all find vampires ridiculous? This makes no sense. In Action Comics Angel Number 1, which was published two years prior, Batman dealt with actual vampires and did not seem shocked by their existence at all. What gives? You're absolutely right, Chris. You're absolutely right. And just a couple issues before the T-Cell Imperative, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold went up against a vampire. So, yeah, a little bit of a head-scratcher. Mike Hargreaves writes in to say, I remember crying when Guy consoled Ice. I'm not ashamed to confess to that. And he says, I've been waiting for you guys to get to this issue. Very proud you made it this far. Well done. Looking forward to the rest of the run. Oh, well, thank you, Mike. So are we. James Simpson says, This issue featured my favorite funeral entertainment ever. Something about it really got me. Yeah, James, it, it was very powerful. 
Robbie Williams from our Canadian Embassy in the Generation X-Wing podcast says, I've always enjoyed the weirdness of the extremists and the characters that came out of this world. Awesome. Well, I hope you're enjoying this coverage, Rob. George Van Note says, I really like the Harlequin show, but when Harley whacked Mr. Miracle with a bat, I was deeply disturbed. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I don't remember that particular moment, but being a Mr. Miracle fan, I guess I would have found that disturbing. The one from Irvin Garcia says, I wish I could find the Just League International, Just League America, Just League Europe comics in hot HD quality. I could just find the six volumes of Just League International in good quality. The rest of the single issues have terrible resolution. Yeah, Irvin, it's a little tricky. Uh, I can tell you the new JLI Omnis Volume 2 has a bunch of those issues after Volume 6, so the quality there should be pretty good because that's all been remastered. You can also find most of the single issues of the JLA on Comixology and DC Universe Infinite. Most of them look pretty decent, so they're, they're worth checking out there. Then we heard from Jeremy Patrick from the Australian Embassy. Jeremy uh, was writing in about JLA number 39 because this was such a good issue. Despero was scary enough that I actually found myself rooting for Guy Gardner. Then he says, apropos of nothing, I've been watching a lot of Friends lately. And he goes, hey, there's a pandemic. And he says, I've concluded that Chandler and Joey's friendship is just like Beale and Boosters. Uh, you know, Jeremy, that's not bad. I kind of like that. That's nice. Then Andy Luke wrote in from the Drew and Look podcast. He's in our Irish embassy, specifically the Belfast location, which is sort of interesting. So Andrew from Belfast wrote in, except he's not the same Andrew from Belfast that we used to see on Twitter. What a strange coincidence. Anyway, Andy Luke says, I'm loving the energy you bring to the podcast and the dedication of the details from your guest. Hypnosis is great, isn't it? <laughs> he says, I'm only up to episode eight so far because I'm a latecomer. And I love how you folks there describe Kevin McGuire's art as a form of acting. Yeah, Andy, that's really the best way to describe it, isn't it? Also, a couple shout-outs to uh, Graham Cannon, JT the Exterminator, and Brad Lonard for a couple of nice comments. So thank you guys for those on social media. Now, this is the part of the show where we thank everybody who shared this podcast on their social media timeline, meaning specifically Facebook and Twitter. Uh, it's a long list of names. I say it every month, guys. But these folks show their support and promoted the show. So it's very important to me that we recognize these individuals. And this time, we're looking at over 70 names. So if you want to be on the list, all you got to do is share on Facebook or retweet on Twitter. We're not doing likes and things like that, but share on Facebook or retweet on Twitter and you'll be on the list just like these folks. So our thanks go out to Al Girding, Andre TFG, Andy Luke, Between the Pages blog, Billy Delicious, Captain Freakout Psychedelic Radio, Charlton Hero, Chris Franklin, Chris Lewis, and the Story Mark. Chris Lydon, Coffee and Comics, Comic Book Addicts, Damian Drowett-Whiter, David Ace Gutierrez, Days of High Adventure Podcast, Dr. Pop Culture, Bowling Green State University, Dr. Jennifer Schwartz-Levine, Dr. G of Nerdology and his Pulp to Pixels podcast account, Ed Moore, Fan Films Friday's podcast, Frederico Hernandez, Full Metal Moose, Gus Casals, Homework the Podcast, Jake Muir, Jason R. Lady, Jeff Weinberg, Jeffrey Brown, Jim Ball, Jimmy the Idiot Boy, Justin Steiner, Keechi Baker, King Oliver, Connell, Liz Ann Oswald, Long Box of Darkness, Lucien Desar, Luke Lana 723, Mark Lax, Martin Gray, Martin Kogan, Matt Ev, Max Reads Comics, Max Romero, Michael Kramer, Michael Thomas, Mick Jamison, Mike Dynas, Paul Hicks, Paul Kean, Pragmatic Gollum, Robert Kelly and his Digest cast, Super Friends for All Mankind, Mountain Comics, Superman Movie Minute, and Treasury Comics accounts. Robert Lewis, Roberto Nunez, Roger Preeb, Rolled Spine Podcast, Scott X, Sean Ross and the Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast, Silver and Gold Podcast, Siskoid, Superman Radio Revisited Podcast, Symbol Pending, Tim Price and the Outcasters, Batman and the Outsiders Podcast, Trent Lewis, Warlock Thanos Podcast, Zane Reed Johnson, and Zeb Oswald. Woof, man, I'm like out of breath. So my thanks to all of you for 
for your support of the JLI podcast. Your feedback is such a critical part of the show, and this community of JLI fans we're building together is absolutely fantastic. Now, if I've forgotten or missed anyone, I am terribly sorry. Twitter was acting up today, so it's possible I may have missed some of the retweets, so I apologize if, it, if that's the case. To be honest, it's probably the fault of Dr. G or Lucian, so let me know, and I'll be sure to include you on the next episode. So please keep those cards and letters coming, folks. Visit our website, which is firewaterpodcast.com slash JLI. Leave a comment on the show post. That is where most of the activity is going on for the show. Over on Facebook, you can find us as JLI Podcast or Justice League International, blah, ha, ha, podcast. Our Twitter account is JLI Podcast, and our email is jlipodcast at gmail.com. My thanks again to Dr. G, Man of Neurology, and Lucien Desar for appearing on the most recent episode of the show. Thanks to you listeners for such a great collection of feedback. You guys are awesome. Now, we're going to take a quick podcast promo break, and when we come back, we'll see if we can bring Chris and Brent together in the same episode. talking about weird stuff well then we've got just the thing for you into the weird a podcast chronicling the madness and magnificence of the mighty marvel bronze age of comics featuring the voice talents of mr billy delicious hola mr herman hellstrom low hey there and straight from the long box of darkness his infernal majesty dormammu might be thinking, aren't all comics infused with a grain of weirdness? I mean, Reed Richards can stretch every single part of his body, right? And why did Ultron design the vision with working genitalia? Well, you would be correct, but Into the Weird isn't just any regular comic book show, folks. We focus on the really bizarre. Here are a few examples. A sword and sorcery barbarian grown spontaneously from a jar of peanut butter. A duck running for president of the United States. Benjamin Franklin playing hide the sausage with Doctor Strange's girlfriend, Clea. A giant-sized man-thing lamenting the death of a clown. A serial killer obsessed with killing only fools, dressed as cavalier with laser guns after witnessing a priest fornicating. And so much more. So if you like the wonderful weirdness of the Bronze Age from 1970 to 1985, and characters such as Ghost Rider, Morbius, The Defenders, Man-Thing, Son of Satan, Skull the Slayer, Kill Raven, Howard the Duck, and the weird granddaddy of them all, Dr. Stephen Strange, then this is the show for you. ITWs on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and TuneIn. Hit subscribe and join us for a comic-filled jaunt into the weird. The Justice League wouldn't help him, so Batman formed a new team. These people of power are all looking for something, be it their past, or a purpose, or simply somewhere to fit in. These are the heroes for a troubled age. They are the Outsiders. We are the Outsiders! Covering Mike W. Barr's 1983 series from the very beginning, as they face villains no other team can, like Agent Orange, the Force of July, and the Nuclear Family. (laughs) Puns. This is the Outcasters, 
of Batman and the Outsiders podcast. Look for us with the Huntress podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Or listen at our website, thehuntresspodcast.com, and follow us on Twitter at BatOutcasters. We are the Outcasters, because to live outside the law, you must be honest. Okay, folks, we're back from break, and yes, it does appear the JLI Teleporter has brought together both Chris and Brent. So, awesome, Chris. Thank you so much for appearing on this episode. I was really looking forward to us having a chance to talk. Uh, again, I have met your podcasting partner, and I am a massive, massive fan of the Doctor Who books, and I uh, was so excited to have this conversation. Would you cool. please tell the people at home where they can find you on the internet? Yeah, so um, so you can find well, find me personally on Twitter at Caravan Awesome, um, which is uh, a, hand, a handle I have from a blog that I no longer run um, <laughs> so, but I've never got around to changing it but uh, I think the main place where you can find me is uh, is on the all new adventures of the Doctor Who book club podcast and uh, where we sometimes cover um, graphic novels uh, as well as prose novels and story compilations and like our August episode is going to be uh, Assimilation which is the Doctor Who Star Trek crossover um, with the Tiptons and, and Tony Lee. Scott Tipton, Pascal of the show uh, was one of the co-writers on that. Yeah, so do come along and, and, and have a listen and you don't need to have read the books and I think possibly like a slight understanding of Doctor Who might help but yeah, and, and also just thinking, you were saying about how you met my co-host at, um, at Gallifrey One, I've never actually met Matt. Oh really? <laughs> okay. No, no, I have never met Matt. <laughs> I've met some of his family but I've never actually met him. Oh how funny. That is too funny and that happens a lot in this podcasting world. We all get to know each yeah. other. I've made genuine friendships across the airwaves of people that I've never met face to face and have talked to for, you know, tens and tens and dozens of hours. So I totally get it. Yeah, that's so funny. Well, hopefully you'll get over here to Gallifrey one time and uh, yeah. get a chance to meet Matt or go up to uh, as a Convergence up in Minnesota, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I had a loose idea of, of doing that last year, but you know. Really? 2020, not a good year to travel, surprisingly. No. <laughs> would have been not. <laughs> well, Chris, thank you so much again for being on this episode. It, it's been an absolute joy. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. Um, uh, thank you very much for having me on and letting me letting me reminisce about the Justice League. All right. Now, Brent, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so glad we got a chance to chat. I cannot believe we are a world apart and yet we grew up together. That is absolutely insane. So why don't you tell the folks where they can find you, even though you're a world apart, where can they find you on their phones and on the interwebs? I, uh, I have a writing website, uh, deadlytroubadour.com. You can find various stuff I've written about life in Japan, about superhero comics. Now, I'll admit, one of the side effects of the world going into play mode was I've kind of let all of that slide to focus on family and what's right in front of me, but you can find me there, and soon I'll be re-renewing -re a podcast I've been doing. If you like this show, you might also enjoy listening to the Brent and Lydia Talk Starman podcast, but it's, you know, we talk about Starman. There you go. It's it's right there in the title. Jack Knight. Gotta love it. I was gonna say, the Jack Knight Starman. The Jack Knight Starman. I was gonna say the title was obvious, but then again, oh, there's been at least two Starman man series that i know of well if you count them up either i think there's seven incarnations of the character at this point now yeah yeah it's whew. and but we all know jack knight's the best oh he totally is i can't wait to check that out and you know will payton starman will be in the next uh, episode of this show in fact so a little small world connection there nice 
Nice. So, Brent, again, thank you so much. And I am so glad we got a chance to do this. And I still, uh, what, how crazy. Just, I'm so glad to have met my old neighbor. It's, it's, it's ridiculous that a random show about the internet can take two people on two different continents and be like, holy crap, we used to be probably about a 30, 45 minute car ride away from each other. We could have been in the store at the same time for all we know. It is entirely possible. <sighs> That's a good story. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Brent. And folks, that is going to do it. Now, come back next episode when we cover Justice League America number 42 and Justice League Europe number 18. And we'll have two more guest hosts to help me cover the issues. Who will they be? Come on, people. You know how this works. You're just going to have to wait and find out next episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, I'm Shag. I'm Chris. And I'm Brent. And you've been listening to the JLI Podcast. Want to make something out of it? Metropolis. But we get going now. Be no stopping us.